Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson with you. A lot to get to today. How does this sound, folks? The Winnipeg Jets are in first place. What a game last night at Canada Life Center. Huge win for the home side as the Jets sweep their three-game homestand and do it in one of the most impressive victories we've seen in a long, long time for the Winnipeg Jets. A thorough domination of the Dallas Stars for pretty much a full 60 minutes. Workmanlike effort by pretty much the entire squad. Everybody had a piece of this win. And an absolutely phenomenal game by the Jets' top line of Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, and Mason Appleton filling in for Nikolai Ehlers. We'll, we'll hear from Coach Rick Bonus had his best game of the season and one of his best games ever as a Winnipeg Jet last night. It was uh, a heck of a lot of fun. Um, we're going to be all over this one. As I mentioned, we'll hear from Rick Bonus in his postgame comments in just a moment. Scott Billick from the Winnipeg Sun is going to jump on. Get his thoughts on the game last night. A little look ahead to the next, uh, the rest of the week with the Jets having a couple practice days and then heading out on the weekend for back-to-back -back road games against the Calgary Flames who are struggling and the red-hot Seattle Kraken who beat the uh, Nashville Predators last night for their fifth straight win. And we'll also talk with Scotty, uh, get his thoughts on the upcoming West Final between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the British Columbia Lions. A little later on, Murata Tesh will pop on as well. Really looking forward to Murat's take on what we've seen over the course of the past week, as well as last night's convincing win to grab a piece of first place in the Central Division. I uh, do want to give a big thanks to all of our friends and wonderful sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Of course, our friends at Princess Auto, Not Auto Corp, Cool Bet Canada, Royal Sports, F Apparel, uh, the Kanga Culligan Water, Canadian Club, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, and of course, Wallace and Walls, Vita Health Fresh Market, and our newest sponsor, Consolidated Supply. We won't be exclusively talking Jets today, though. Last, hour, uh, last half hour of the program or so, really, really cool conversation coming up with Steve Simmons. Steve, 40 years in the business as Canada's preeminent columnist, um, some love him, some love to hate him, um, but you'll always read him. And he's put together a, an amazing book of some of his favorite columns over the last 40 years uh, called The Lucky Life, 40 Years from the Best Seat in the House. I think you'll really enjoy that. And we'll also get Steve's take on, you know, the significance of what the Bombers could do in CFL history if they can pull off two more wins to Sunday at home and the following Sunday in Regina to win a third consecutive Grey Cup. So Marat, Billick, Steve Simmons a little later on. It is going to be a great show. Um, all right, listen, before we get to uh, Rick Bonus, last night, a number of things I want to get to. First off, though, um, I want to give everyone that was involved in putting together that Filipino Heritage Night a huge, huge little round of applause that was as well done and well executed a promotion uh, by the club. And I can't remember something that was so embraced by the community, in, in particular the Filipino community. I got to the game relatively close to game time. And 
was walking in the main doors at Portage and Donald. And obviously I knew that, you know, this was the Filipino heritage night. We've seen the videos and those warm-up jerseys were absolutely fire. Um, but it was, I, I was blown away by just how many um, of fellow fans walking in were groups of Filipino folks from, uh, from the city. And, um, you know, saw a bunch of Filipino friends that were at the game. I got to give a shout out to Bernard from Sisler High School. I was actually with a good friend of mine, John, who's a teacher at Sisler. Um, they were very well represented. And I believe that school probably has the biggest Filipino population, maybe of any school in Canada, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, they were out and obviously the, everything looked great. The food was awesome. Um, anyways, that was a, a, a complete home run by everyone involved. And um, it really added to an incredibly fun night for everyone that was in the building last night watching it. And then the game. I mean, the first period, the Jets weren't able to score, but that was, um, I mean, they were going. Um, they were doing everything that Rick Bonus has been preaching. And the Dallas Stars did not have much of an answer for the majority of the first period. Now, you get into the second and the Dallas Stars go up early. And as we'll hear from Rick Bonus, a very interesting coaching uh, move. And you know he'll talk about this. He didn't like that first goal. And top line was on the ice. Decided to keep them out there and, you know, look for a bounce back. And that is exactly what happened. And the way that that game turned around after giving up the first goal, despite how well the Jets had been playing, and then lighting up those three quick ones to completely flip the game was um, was really something to see. Mark Shifley continues to have a monster bounce back season. Two goals last night. Brilliant passing from Kyle Connor. But listen, Mark, uh, Mason Appleton had a uh, an absolutely huge game last night. And it seems like, you know, he's more and more comfortable playing on that line with two of the top players. And as we'll hear from Rick Bonus in a minute, he um, he wasn't trying to do anything outside of his skill set, just do it very well and it complimented the guys well. And, Show that he can uh, make a couple beautiful passes as well. And then, of course, had the goal at the end. Um, which, by the way, if you were at the building last night, Mason Appleton, of course, Green Bay, Wisconsin native and big-time cheesehead, his goal song is the Packers touchdowns theme, which is uh, Bang on the Drum All Day by Todd Rundgren. Mason Appleton having bang on the drum all day play last night. That might actually be the highlight of the entire Packers season right now. I had to, I had to laugh about that. Um, not going well for the Packers, but the Green Bay native playing very well. He had a huge game last night. And oh, by the way, Mark Shifley also needs a new goal song, I think. Man, there's been so many great ones from the Winnipeg Jets, and we've had so many times to hear it. I think if Shife got one that was uh, a little bit more, um, something that the crowd could get into a little bit more, um, would certainly be great because Dubois has been scoring. And, uh, well, I've got a take on Dubois' goal song a little later on. We will get to that. One other thing, and let's get to why not question of the day right out of the gate. Um, when was the last time? Well, that was the best win since. What was the last Jet win that impressed you as much as that game last night? I tweeted afterwards, as great as the St. Louis game was a couple weeks ago, which we talked about as the blueprint. I was even more impressed with the Jets, the, the way they played last night. And let's not forget the Dallas Stars came in as a first-place team, third-ranked power play in the league, top-five penalty kill, and had been beating everybody, uh, including the Winnipeg Jets earlier this season. That looked completely different from what we saw before. So we'll get to all of that. 
And I guess the other thing, um, by the way, why not question today? Hit us up in the comments of the YouTube channel if you're watching this afterwards, or as always, you can get us in uh, on the chat right now. Oh, and hey, speaking of not Autocorp, just while I'm here, I'm gonna copy this link. Our friends at Not are doing a giveaway for some tickets to the West Final. If you're with us on YouTube right now, I'm gonna paste this link. You can head on over to the Not Facebook page and um, comment, tag a friend, give him a follow as well while you're there. And we won't have a regular show on Remembrance Day on Friday, uh, but both not on Facebook and we will on our social media channels will enter, will uh, announce the winner. So you got a couple days to get in. Very simple. Comment, tag a friend on the page, and uh, you could be at the Western Final courtesy of our friends at Not Auto Corp. All right. We will hear from Rick Bonus. Um, but oh, one other thing I do need to uh, mention is the uh, is that Brendan Dillon fight against Ty Delandria. There were some bombs in that one. And I'm not a guy that, you know, talks about fighting all the time. Although, like anyone, I mean, you're certainly not turning away when it's happening. But for the way the Jets played, for them to be sort of challenged like that by Delandria, and for Brendan Dillon to step up the way that he did, and that was a major, major tilt. I can't remember the last time we had a fight like that in a Winnipeg Jet game. Uh, I think spoke to the way everyone on the team was doing everything they could to help pull their team up to um, to be their best. And that was, it's not something we see a lot from the Winnipeg Jets, but there had been some questions as to when a team like Dallas comes in and things go that way, who's going to step up? Well, Brendan Dillon stepped up big time. And that was a, uh, I thought that was a pretty significant moment in the game as well. Um, but I'm going to look at, looking forward to hearing what Scott Billick has to say about that. Uh, coming up now listen let's hear we're gonna get to rick bonus and then billick's gonna pop in we'll hit both jets and bombers with him uh but before we do that i just got to give a big thanks to our friends over at consolidated supply your first choice for lawn and irrigation they've been the golf experts for years in town they are the go-to people for golf carts not just for golf courses but you know for people ripping around in the summer at their cottage and two four six seaters for industrial purposes as well. Consolidated Supply has it all, but what you might not know is what they can also do in the backyard. Lawn and irrigation, great. How about artificial turf? If you have artificial turf needs, our buddy Joe over there will get you set up as well. They've also got wonderful um, outdoor kitchen setups, beautiful barbecues, hot tubs, and more. And of course, they're also the go-to guys for small engine parts in town. Find out more on what Consolidated Supply has cooking at their new website at cte.ca or pop down and see our friends at Consolidated Supply at 1395 Nyaqua Road East. It is open to the public. And hey, if you're looking for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries and Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products, Vita Health and their seven Vita Health Fresh Market stores is there for you. Hey guys, November is considered Men's Health Month, and choosing the right natural products are key. Vita Health carries everything you need to help relieve prostate issues, reduce stress, and support mental focus from Canadian brands like Prairie Naturals, who donate a portion of their sales to the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. And if you can't make it down to one of the stores, visit their new fully shoppable website to buy online, schedule delivery, or in-store pickup. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives with seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, 
and online at myvita.ca. And hey, a little bit of a tease for you folks. Next week, we are launching a really exciting initiative with our friends at Wallace & Wallace, the gang at the Dream Factory, and one of your favorite Winnipeg Jets. So make sure to be paying attention to next week's shows for details on that. In the meantime, if you haven't finished your winterization list yet, don't forget about your garage door and the experts at Wallace & Wallace are there for you. Hey, you got to do all those things like clean it and make sure your photo eye isn't blocked dirty or misaligned, make sure you're lubricated. But if you want to make sure that all the bases are covered, talk to Wallace & Wallace and take advantage of their winter maintenance program. It's their version of a medical checkup for your door. The technicians will poke and prod their way through a 21-point checklist, making sure your door is ready for the winter ahead. You can book your service call now by going to wallacedoors.com or call them at 452-2700. All right, Billick's on deck, but you know because of the nature of that win, some of the things that we're going to be talking about and some really interesting thoughts from Rick Bonus, who I'm sure was exceptionally happy with both the way his team played and beating his old team, so we'd get a little bit of Rick Bonus's post-game comments before we bring Scott Billick in. Here's Bones after last night's big win at Canada Life Centre. Oh, do you feel like this is a bit of a statement game for your group? Yeah, it is. Um, they're starting to, uh, you know, they're starting to realize that we've got a good team here. If we, if we play the right way and we play fast and we pressure them, and um, you know, that first period is a pretty good example of it. We've got a lot of great opportunities offensively from playing good defense and moving the puck quick. So uh, they're starting to, starting, it's starting to sink in. There's always, always room for improvement. Um, Got a long way to go. Still have lots of work ahead of us, but we're getting there. What's Mason Appleton done to fit in with that top line specifically tonight? That, that's um, that's his best game with that line. Um, he just he, you, you play with those guys. Sometimes you you get out of what you do well. Tonight he did what he does well. He's strong on the boards and reliable defensively and skating with the puck and and without without stepping out of trying to do too much and that line was that line was outstanding tonight what does it mean to, for your group to respond you know you've given up a couple games now when you've given up a goal but got one right back montreal game now. i love that you know that's what we say that we if we score we want to go right back at them if they score we want to go right back at them and you have to respond and, and they did tonight and that's why we the, you know that was didn't like the goal the way we played to handle that whole thing but we we left them out there okay let's i want you to respond and give them credit they did early on the pace probably from both teams was higher than your last couple of games opponents and um, I, I can't hear you sorry sorry early on the pace from both teams was probably more than the last couple of games that you've been in um what does it mean or how did you guys become the team that led that pace uh, ratcheting it up like you did well we um well, we can play fast, and we were moving the puck really well. And uh, I think we had 12 scoring opportunities in the first period, which we haven't had all year. Uh, Wedgie was great for them, and uh, and then yeah, so was Helly when we when we you know we sometimes you go for those chances, you give one up the other way. But it's just a matter of of just playing fast when you get the puck, and pressuring them when you don't have it. And then when you get it, but let's go. And we, um, I like the way we, our D were joining the rush. I like the four-man attack we had. I like the fact we were filling the lanes and using the width of the ice, and that we were driving, we were driving the pace offensively when we got the puck. 
and that's what we want when we get it drive it make plays and, and we were making them just following up on the four-man attack, it seems like when you guys get to the offensive blue line, there's always numbers right now. What does it take to make that happen? Well, we just, again, we're telling our D, we get the puck, you're coming. If there's, we're not, if they got the green light, and they're coming up. I don't want them hanging back. They, uh, that, that one of those Ds is coming up, and I think there was a rush a couple of the game, or last game, we had two D <laughs> leading the rush. We had two forwards playing the D. But that's what you have to do. If that's, if that's how it develops, that's how it develops. You slow the game down when you, start, when you stop doing those things, and you got to trust each other, and that comes back to team play and playing the right way and trusting each other. Our D have to trust the forwards when they're coming that someone's going to back them up. Now, there was a couple of mix-ups tonight, but give uh, Dallas credit. To it. They're, they're great at breaking the puck out, and they, they get you into foot races, and that's the fastest team that we've played against in terms of breaking that puck out and coming at you. But uh, I thought is we did a good job of, um, of keeping that third forward high and frustrating them through the middle of the ice. But they still did a great job breaking the puck out. But you know we're we're trying to win the game. You got to go. You got to go. You got to go get to get the chance to get the puck. You got to go. And last super specific question from me. Um, lots of great plays from your top line tonight. There's one where Mark Shifley wins. I think two 50-50 battles. He passes to Blake Wheeler. The chance misses in the end. But it was this real physical, overpowering moment from Shifley. And what is it? look like or feel like for you when you see that element of this game too well we've talked a lot about every line looking the same without the puck and in those battles they all have to look the same and again when we get it there's different skill sets take over but you got to have four lines looking the same without the puck you got to have four lines looking the same back checking four lines looking the same in those battles and we expect that from them we're just over a week since you walked in and halted our questions to tell us you weren't at all happy about where this team's game was. What kind of progression have you seen over the last three games? I see a more confident team that they understand you play the right way and we do these things that we keep preaching at that we're going to have success. We're going to cut down on the chance against. We're going to cut down the shots against. We're going to have a lot more fun when we get the puck. And I, I think they're starting to, they, they, they see it. Uh, they should see it and they're playing like they see it and the confidence is there right now. And to your point about the Stars' breakout, um, it seemed like they were breaking out, and if they did get through the neutral zone, you guys were doing a real good job of disrupting them at your own blue line. Uh, how did you have so much success? That's that? because of our third forward and the forecheck was protecting the middle of the ice. And when our, when our forward was there, we want our D up. We don't want them backing up. We want to play the game skating forwards. If you watch our D, there's a lot of times they're coming at us, and we're not backing up. We're going side. We're skating forwards at them, and we're pressuring them. So we want our D to squeeze there and, and hold that line as much as we can. Our objective is to get the puck out of their hands in that neutral zone any way we can. We don't want them going east to west through the neutral zone, which they did sometimes because they got a lot of skill over there. But for the most part, we, we control that. Rick, just a question about third periods. Uh, the last two games in particular, your shot suppression of your opponents. Does that defensive posture, how close does that look to what you envision it to be? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I thought we got in a little trouble tonight in the third, but not that it, it, it handling the puck, it, so it wasn't our structure. It was the puck management. We didn't get the puck out when we had a chance. We didn't get it deep when we had to, when we had to. And, uh, and they, they had us a couple of chances around the net. But we're learning those things as we go along. But we're, as I said, there's still lots of work to do. There is, and there's, still, there's a long way or long road ahead of us. But we're going to keep working. We'll get there.
All right, there's Rick Bonus after last night's big win over the Dallas Stars for the Winnipeg Jets. Scott Billick going to join us in just a moment. Don't forget the why not question of the day is um, that was the best Jets win since. Would love to hear when you're, uh, in your opinion, when the last time we saw such a complete and great performance from the Winnipeg Jets in such a big game. Hit us up in the comments. And speaking of the comments or the chat, just going to drop this in there as well. If you just got here, the gang at Not Auto Corp is a ticket contest giveaway over on their Facebook page. I've just put the link in on the chat. If you're listening to the uh, to the uh, podcast, go to at Sports Talk WPG or at Hustlerama on Twitter. The link is there as well. Or just look for Not Auto Corp. You'll see the post, comment, tag a friend, and enter to win tickets to the West Final course not auto corp ready for winter as well folks if you don't already have your winter tires not's got winter tire specials and the mpi payment plan why not get safe winter tires now and pay later and of course if you're looking for a new vehicle why not get in the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the not team pop down and see him waverly and mcgilvery or check them out online at not.ca and hey if you missed it yesterday the new WST Tukes are here, folks. New era, best in the business, hot off the press, limited numbers. They're there for you right now at Royal. I know Isha Boy Bruce went by yesterday and picked one up. Um, if you're outside of the area, we do have a few on the website as well. Go to winnipegsports.com, click on store, and you'll see the, uh, the latest drop of our new era Winnipeg Sports Talk Tukes. And, of course, when you're popping by Royal Sports, you can pick up a WST toque. They've got new bomber gear, including toques and scarves, just in time for the Western Final. Tons of Winnipeg Jets gear. Canada soccer merchandise in advance of the World Cup and so much more. And, of course, the biggest and best selection of hockey equipment for players of all ages and skill levels. It's all there, 750 Pemina Highway. And make sure to follow Royal Sports on Twitter or on Instagram, excuse me, at Royal Sports Pemina for their latest merchandise drops and sale information. And I should give a big shout out as well to our friends at F Apparel, making uh, most of the boys in the media box look good. I gotta say, uh, I uh, the, the suit that I just got was awesome. The entire process was quick and easy. Pick out your style, pick up your fabric, what color you want. You can probably get some good advice from the experts at F as well. A few weeks later, got a great new suit. Custom suits starting at $400 right now. Got a couple great deals right now if you're looking to expand your wardrobe. But if you're involved in a wedding party, gang, for next summer, right now, if you book your wedding party and get the guys in to get fitted by the end of November, everyone in the wedding party will get a free shirt and 10% off your order. Find out more in person at 190 Smith Street downtown or check them out online and make an appointment at F. That's ephapparel.com. All right, let's get back to this Jets win last night and welcome in Scott Billick from the from the Winnipeg Sun. Billick, what's up, man? Great to have you back on the program. How about that one last night? Yeah, I mean, what a game. Uh, first place battle. Um, and it lived up to, the, I guess, the hype. I mean, it was nothing like the second game of the year which the Jets got ran out of the building and in Dallas there, it was uh, very much a, a, you know, a flipping of the script where, where the Jets ran Dallas out of the building. I mean, Mark Shifley's line was tremendous. It shut down Tyler Sagan's light all night long. And when they weren't on the ice, Adam Lowry picked up the slack and his line was doing it. 
Uh, Connor Hellebuck was big and boring and brilliant, right? I mean, I mean, that's kind of, you know, they're, uh, the MO for, for Hellebuck this season. I think he's at 198 uh, goals against and a 938 save percentage. It's, you know, it, it, after that road trip, you're like, okay, you know, who are the Winnipeg Jets? And then after this homestand, um, you're like, okay, well, there's some consistency here. This is a team that, uh, this is a team that, that, that has kind of found its stride, found its, uh, maybe a bit of its identity. Um, it, it's been good for them to have Rick Bonus behind, behind the bench. Um, I mean, even looking at little things like the practice time that they didn't have on these, these past couple of road trips where they played three and four nights on both of them, um, having that kind of practice time back has allowed them to kind of hone in on some of the things that especially went wrong on, on the last road trip. Uh, it, it's going well for the Jets. And, you know, I know, I, I think it's your, your question of the day. I and mean, what, what is the, 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 the best game that the Jets have played since, you know, last night, you know, when have we seen that kind of before? And, you know, to me, I, I don't know. I, you know, you're starting to go back to, to probably 2018, 19. Uh, I was talking about this the other day. Um, I think with Mike McIntyre of the Free Press, uh, you know, kind of trying to figure out when the last time the Jets looked kind of as good as they have recently. Um, when's the last time the Jets were on a, you know, a, a 6 one kind of streak uh, where they're just bagging points early in the season like this? I mean, it's, I mean, obviously last year they, they got up to that 9-3-3 three, and three start through 15. Um, but this seems different. Uh, it, it seems like this is a team that's winning the game. And, and really, I mean, I'm kind of going to the buffet here, but the stats don't lie. I mean, if you look at eight of 10 games or 12 games this year, the Jets have allowed three or fewer in, in eight of those, um, which is, a, you know, that's a, that's a big thing in this NHL right now is, you know, not giving up more than three and, and trying to keep it down to two um, if you possibly can. Um, and the Jets have only allowed, uh, I, I think they've, it's a third period stat that I saw yesterday um, where they've only allowed like the fewest, I think six goals allowed in the third period which is the fewest in the NHL. Like those are things that like, you know, they're not letting like those crippling goals in anymore, kind of late in periods or, or anything like that. Like they really batten down the hatches. I know Rick bonus was a little kind of, you know, not, not, not oh, as enthused about the third last night, at least parts of it. Um, but the Jets aren't allowing goals in the third period anymore, which is, you know, a, a big thing. And, and this team is, you know, essentially, or, you know, they're just on the right track house. And I mean, I think that's, it shows in, in every facet of this, this this team, whether it's in the room. Um, we all wrote a story this week about that little creed that they have on the wall. But it's things like that where, like, we haven't been in the room in a couple of years, but you never saw that before, even before when we were in the room. Um, and it's things like that where, like, every player signed it, and, and, and they're all kind of on the same page. Like, this team is talking a little bit now, like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are talking, right, where every guy – says almost the exact same thing it's kind of boring at times but it also it tells a story right it tells a story that everybody's kind of on the same page yeah and i you know it, it's interesting to see that i mean we're still what 13 games into the season so th there's plenty of hockey to go there's still 69 games to go um in the year but at the same time um you're starting to see little things here where you can point to say you know this is what might carry this team through a tough stretch or you know, I mean, they're already dealing with, you know, not a full deck right now. I mean, Nikolai Ehlers is out of the lineup. And and Mason Appleton, I mean, people can say what they want about Mason Appleton. Um, I thought he's been doing well on that line. He offers the speed that Rick Bonus wants on that line. Last night, it kind of came all together for that line. Appleton had a goal and two assists. Um, yeah, I, I'm just, 
I, I'm I'm intrigued by how this team is kind of operating, not just playing, but operating um, on and off the ice, um, and how you know, you know we talked so much last year about you know especially at the end of the year about how you know fractured this group might be and all that stuff. Um, you don't see that right now, and you know you know it, it's tough to hide those things. And we weren't even in the room last year, and we could tell just by the guy, you know, the way the guys were sick. Even by the way that they were playing last year, you could tell it was a bit divided. Um, this year, uh, that's certainly not the case. And they've gotten through, you know, a rough stretch on that road trip, even though they were winning. Um, but it seems like this team has the ability now to kind of weather um, the storm as a group and not turn into a group that kind of turns clicky and and uh, gets kind of fractured and those types of things. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you got to be excited about it. Well, for sure. I mean, listen, it's 82 games and you're exactly right. I mean, the team started nine, three and three last year. And then yeah. three weeks later, Paul Maurice was walking out on the team. So, I mean, things can't yeah. change, yeah, I but I think it's important to note that, you know, the beginning of this season was incredibly different than last year. Um, you know, you're coming in yeah. after an off season where all of the talk was who was out, who was going to be, what were the big changes going to be? And the biggest change was on the bench uh, with a whole new coaching staff. But also, I think you mentioned, I think the I think the disappointment and the failures of last season for the guys that did come back, um, you know, everything they said was really true. I mean, you know, we can't have that. We realized what happened last year. And it seems like at every, at every stop, they're doing what they can do to put the procedures in, whether it is the pledge on the wall, whether it is the way that they're preparing, whether it is the things that the coaches are instilling in practice each and every day to give them the best chance to put all of that in the rear view mirror right now. And, yeah. you know, you can't overstate how brilliant Connor Hellebuck has been. And, and listen, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. He stole a couple games right now, but guess what? He's on the team too. And if you go over the course of 82 games, when you have an elite goaltender, he's going to get you a few points. What I think was the most impressive, first of all, was how honestly Rick Bonus spoke, as well as some of the players coming off of that road trip, where, of course, he was at home recovering from COVID yeah. and saying, we're not even close to where we want to be. It was great to get the points. Shout out to Connor, who's playing as well as anyone. But this team needs to be much, much better. And over the course of this homestand, Scott, I thought that from the Montreal game to the Chicago game, to last night's 60-minute performance, they've been doing all the things that the coaches are instilling in them, and they seemingly are doing them better game after game after game. And when you get positive results for doing things a certain way, um, you know, it continues. It gives you momentum going forward. And, right. I mean, I can't just say enough about the way they came out, the way they stuck to it even after giving up that first goal and maybe we'll get to that right now. I mean, Rick bonus said yeah. he didn't really like the goal, the way that it happened very often. You would just have a change, go to somewhere else. He left those guys out there and yeah. they completely yeah. flipped the game immediately. And it didn't stop with the one goal to tie it up. Next thing you know, it was three, one and the jets were off to the races. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that was, uh, I thought that really said a lot about, Kind of how Rick Bonus is differs from the way that maybe Paul Maurice plays. You know, it, it wasn't that, you know, and, and I think it said a lot about Mark Shifley and that line too, that, yeah, they got scored on, but I think they know now why they got scored on on that play. I mean, obviously some miscoverage there, a little bit of bad bounce off Neil Pionk and that sort of thing. But 
you know, Rick Bonus has instilled this kind of belief in this team, at least from the outside, from what I can see, that, you know, mistakes aren't going to be punished in the same way, but also mistakes aren't going to be allowed to kind of uh, continue, right? You're not going to get away with two, three, or four times. But at some times where it's just maybe a bad luck play or, you know, you felt that even that that line was doing really, you know, relatively well early on and you just kind of had a bad, you know, a bad moment there in the second period, that that line was still clicking. And we saw that all through the first period when the Jets outshot them eight, 18 to 8. Um, it wasn't like that goal happened 306 into the first period. It was 306 into the second. And so there, there was a body of work earlier on that suggested that Mark Sheffield's line not only defensively, but offensively was really moving. And so you go right back to a line, you let them kind of see, you know, it's a bit of a test, you know, how are you going to respond to this? You know, sometimes it's not always just about, you know, putting another line on and be like, okay, go out and, you know, grind it out, do whatever. It's about, you know, sometimes the test or even the punishment, maybe, you know, if you want to use that word is sending that line right back onto the ice and trying to make amends for, for, for what happened. And, and I thought, you know, Mark Sheffy talked about it afterwards a little bit about I mean, maybe a, a, bit, a little bit of anger or, you know, we're a little bit motivated to kind of go and get that one back. Obviously, they did it. I think it was what, about 21 seconds later, something like that. You know, they, they went and got that goal back immediately. And it wasn't just, you know, whatever. It, it was such a, I mean, what a goal, right? I mean, tic-tac-toe, brilliant passing. Um, it, it, it just showed that this team isn't dwelling on mistakes and I think again I, I would even go back to you know that Vegas game in the, the first one where the team was kind of getting run out of the rink in the first period um, it was four zip whatever the score was you know at the end of that and but they didn't quit on that game and I think you had you've seen that all throughout the year whether it was early on or whatever maybe the Dallas game aside where that was a tough game they kind of got you know just that was a difficult game to get even through the neutral zone a lot of good sticks by Dallas but this team hasn't given up at one point during this year. Um, th th they have not um, allowed themselves to kind of get stuck in the mud, you know, somewhere along the line within a game and just and just stayed there, right? They, they've tried to pull themselves out of every situation they've been in. Uh, and I think the Vegas game was the first kind of real example of the first Vegas game. And from there, it's just been, you know, whatever. I mean, you get whatever it was, 19 shots or whatever it was in L.A. in that first period. That Vegas game was brutal, but they, you know, they, they still stuck with it um, in a way that, you know, well, Connor Hellebuck had to kind of pull one out of the fire for them. And then, as you said, I mean, they got back and they understood why Rick Bonus was upset, even with five or six points. And that's something that wasn't always the case before. We've talked about it before ad nauseum about, Paul Maurice kind of waxing poetic on 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 this team's you know mishaps and misfortunes and all that stuff, saying, well, you know, they stayed in the fight and all that. You know, this is a team that's staying in the fight. It's different. Like this is a team that that is not quitting anymore. Um, they're sticking with their structure. There's and a they're lot showing of accountability. And the it's the, that's, that's the, the word, other man. Thing. Accountability yeah. to themselves, yep. to each other, yep. handling things honestly to the fan base. I mean, I talk to fans at every game and yeah. whether it is Rick bonus and the way he has been pretty forthcoming saying the things that everyone is watching, everyone understands that yeah. you would assume are being said, but sometimes weren't before it almost set up. And again, I don't want to talk about the Maurice era or anything like that, but 
we knew what needed to happen. And this team needed to be more accountable to themselves, yeah. to each other. And whether it starts off with that pledge or the message that Rick Bonus said on the first day of camp, whatever it is, it is manifesting itself into a group of players that are coming together as a team far better than they've had been before. You mix that in with a world-class goaltender and, you know, some belief in the system, you can win some hockey games. And um, it's exciting to look forward to what this team could be capable of. Yeah, because, you know, you're exactly right. And, 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 it's 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 not making people feel like that they're like that they're idiots for thinking the team is playing bad or you know like you know making them kind of second guess what their eyes are seeing anymore like yeah you know either it's rick bonus or the players are kind of speaking truth to whatever the moment is now, i'm talking a little bit just kind of as with friend and dylan earlier this week just in you know you, you get to sometimes walk around the room and chat with players and that sort of thing and it was interesting listening to Brennan just talk about how different kind of it is this year. I mean, he was talking really highly of Pete DeBorey. Obviously, he had played with him um, um, when he had him in, uh, I believe he had him in, in, in San Jose um, for a time there. Um, and just kind of how Pete DeBoer, the way that Pete DeBoer kind of handles himself is a lot the same way that, that, that Rick Bonus handles himself. So... The, the the accountability is that thing. It, it's one of the you know uh, when you look at the the heap of all the things that this team will will follow throughout a year, accountability is right at the top and and taking it. It says it. I mean, we go back to that little creed. I mean, you know, it's. I, I think the reason why we 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 thought at least our media guys thought that was such a interesting thing is because the the language of it, right? I, you you look at that and like it. it, it Nate Schmidt said it best. It wasn't written by me. It was written by us. And so every guy had a stamp in that. And you look at now, you know, I was listening to Pierre Bergeron on the 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, Pierre Bergeron. Um, uh, oh, I can't even. Patrice. Sorry. Patrice. There we go. Brain fart. Patrice Bergeron. And there's been always these stories about, you know, when Patrice Bergeron hit his 1,000th game, um, Trent Frederick was on the team. He had played like five five games with the club. Um, and Patrice Bergeron bought gifts for everybody in the room, including Trent Frederick. And one of the things that Bergeron did there was he gave, he made sure that Trent Frederick got his gift, right? It was, it, and what it showed, you know, to me, just listening to that story and listening to Bergeron on this, just talking about the culture of that team, whatever. And it's like, everybody's a part of the team. You know, Trent Frederick for five games helped Patrice Bergeron be a better player in whatever way that happened, whether it was in the room, whether he made him laugh, whether he made a nice pass on the ice, whatever it was. This Jets team this year has come in and everybody's a part of it from, you know, the Saku Manalinans who were unknowns to most of these guys before the year to the Cole Perfettis who's just a rookie player, the Dylan Sandberg who's only played 21 games in the NHL and only 15 prior to this season. All these guys have voices, right? And you listen to some of these guys talk about the fact that, you know, they're heard now. And you listen, I know, when I was talking to Brendan Dillon, it was like, you know, like I remember what it was like as a young player going into a room with Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski and those guys. And I remember what it was like knowing that I could say something and I wasn't going to just be ignored. And, you know, and Mate Schmidt said it earlier this week when we were talking about that, Creed, is that, you know, a guy like Cole Perfetti can teach Nate Schmidt something about offense that Nate Schmidt can't, you know, kind of te teach himself about it. 
And so it's those little things. It, it, they seem so small, right? It just seems like this, you know, eight by 12 piece of paper on a wall is, is, is whatever. But, you know, you see everybody has signed it. You've seen all of it. It, it. it speaks to, you know, the word that has been kind of evaded this Jets team for a while now, buy-in, right? All this team is bought into themselves, to the team, to what Rick Bonus wants, but also to the accountability this team wants, especially stemming out of last season. And, you know, I, I think it's sometimes you, you got to kind of look at just more than just, you know, what you see on the ice. And and for us in the media, it, it, it's nice to be able to go in there and kind of tell the stories of what we're what we're seeing in the room that, you know, fans don't always get to see. And what yeah. you're seeing in the room right now is really, really interesting, intriguing, and, and positive, uh, you know, if you're a Jets fan. You, you, that's the type of stuff that you want to see um, from a team, especially coming off the year that yeah. they did have last year. You know, I, I love that example of the Bruins and Patrice Bergeron. And it sort of reminds yeah. me, listen, I hate the Bruins. I mean, I can't stand Brad Marchand, but I mean, you have to have a level <laughs> of respect about what they've done as a yeah. team, although they've had some pretty big off-ice embarrassments not to do with any of the players on the yeah. squad well, over the last few yeah. days. Uh, we won't get into that. But even but then, I remember, sorry, sorry, just, to, just with that, but even then it was Bergeron and Felino and those guys who came out and said, like, this is unacceptable and our team won't, you know, allow Mitchell Miller to come into it either, right? Like, Yeah, well, they didn't really too, like, do it. Players... Listen, they were very skeptical well, about it. But anyways, the reason I bring well, that sure. up is that he's taken over for Zidane Char as the captain. And Chara right. had... This is one story that always, always stands out to me. And it's something that I've cited on this program over the last couple of years when it seemed like there was real divisions and hierarchy within the Jets locker room. And Chara, going to the Hall of Fame, this incredible career, was asked about rookies. And he said, you know, we don't refer or call people rookies. If you are, if you're yeah. on this team, if you're in this dressing room, you're one of us. You remember the Boston Bruins. We do not do, you know, any, like not there be hazing in the National Hockey League, but I mean, they don't do any of those things. You have to prove yourself to the teammates. They believe that you're here for a reason. Um, and that reason is to help us win hockey games and you are part of the team. And that goes in stark contrast to, I think, an old school mentality of, you know, you, you got to be in the league a while before you kind of earn yeah. that respect. And, it's obviously worked well right now. And I think of the way that guys like Axel Janssen Fialbi and Saku Menelainen, who you just mentioned, and, yeah. you know, a Dylan Sandberg, uh, you know, in, in the lineup, like newer players that are not looked at as, you know, less than guys that have been here for a long time, because yeah. there are a number of guys that have been here for a long time. And I mean, it just yeah. goes back to the, the culture change that this team knew they had to create. And it seems like the coaching staff and the players have done a heck of a good job in making that happen up until this point. Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun is with us. Scotty, cannot have you on this week without also <laughs> talking about the other big event this week. And that, of course, is yeah. a packed IG field in the Bombers and British Columbia Lions. Uh, what do you think about BC winning on the weekend and uh, the challenge that they will pose to the back-to-back -back champs when uh, we kick off on Sunday afternoon. Well, I said on last week's program that I thought that um, that Calgary would win that game just because they had kind of all facets. And there's there's BC shutting their you know their defense just completely shutting off the taps for 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 the Stampeders. So you know it, it was it, it's good. I mean I you know I think this is the kind of game that 
a lot of people wanted. Um, I think a lot of people want to see Nathan Rourke um, in a game that could potentially send, you know, the BC Lions to the Grey Cup. Um, you know, I always thought that the, the Stampeders gave, you know, the, the Bombers a, a, a tougher test um, this season throughout the games because I think they just played more meaningful games against each other. Um, but I am interested. The one thing that I, I noticed out of that, uh, that West Semi was that, yeah, Nathan Rourke was good in the passing game. But man, that guy can't run right now. Uh, and 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 you you saw it even before the ends of the game. I mean, you could see the guy limping. Like he's not a hundred percent. So one of the things, I mean, before before Nathan Rourke left, he had seven touchdowns on the ground, and he had a bunch of he had racked up a bunch of yards and and all that. Uh, you know, just yeah, like just a sixty-yard touchdown I mean, run at one point. Yeah, that's right. Like he's a mobile quarterback, and you know, one of the things that 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 is going to be difficult for for them is you know the bombers pass rush which has i mean we we saw it in that in that final game of the year um when it was you know best on best in that first quarter and casey sales comes off the edge and 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 completely strip sacks nathan Rourke. um i'm expecting a lot of that and maybe one of the big questions is did the jets kind of sacrifice a little bit of their secondary defense at the start of that game to really put the pressure on Nathan Rourke early, um, you know, try and get the body on him, try and hit him, try and take him, you know, trying to make him run, try and make him, you know, do all the things that he's really good at when fully healthy. Um, but, you know, has struggled with a little bit, at least in these last couple of weeks where he's played. I mean, he didn't even run one time uh, when he played with Winnipeg, right? I mean, he stayed in the pocket and, you know, at the time when he got strip sacked by Casey Sales there, there was nothing he could do. Um, the Bombers need to get at him, and I think that's the key to victory is, you know, you throw Nathan Rourke off his game, and he's not going to throw for 350 yards and a couple touchdowns. Um, you know, that that that's the type of thing. Because I think this Bombers team has matched up really well against BC all season long, even in the game they lost. I mean, it was, again, it, it's really hard to say, you know, what's changed from week five because we haven't really seen a BC team at full strength. But again, if you look at that first quarter, the Bombers had them, uh, had their number. Defense was going good. You know, the fact that, you know, Adam Big Hill's back on the uh, on the practice field this morning bodes well for his chances to play. I, you know, I, I, aside from some sort of amputation, and it would have to be like two double leg amputation, in my opinion, like Adam Big Hill was always going to play in this game, regardless of how he kind of, whatever he happened when he collided with Nip Dembski there. But, you know, I think this Bombers team kind of knows where they're at. I think they're, you know, they had these little practices over the weekend. They were, they were more, uh, you know, I was there for on, on Sunday and they were, you know, talking to Patty Newfeld about it. And, you know, it was all about just, you know, and, and Brandon Alexander and all, it was just all about amplifying. It's all about, um, you know, getting the little things right, studying the defense, studying, um, you know, what they need to do on the field. Um, and they've had a lot of work uh, already done, already under their belts when it comes to BC. And that was just on the weekend on these little practices that they held. Um, not only that, they're practicing in the elements this week. Um, you know, it's cold out today. It was windy um, a couple of days ago when they were on the field. Uh, you know, BC plays in, a, in you know, it's essentially in a, in, in a covered arena or a stadium there at BC Place. And, you know, not every player can do this. And Mike O'Shea was... But was it, you know, uh, he said, you know, we're going to sit here all week and practice in the elements and we're going to be prepared for whatever the temperature is going to be um, come Sunday. I think they're calling for what, six or something like that, but it's going to drop by by the second half. So, 
you know, I mean, it, it's all, I mean, just based on the season, it's, you know, it, 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 this is very leaning towards the Bombers heading to a third straight Grey Cup. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think the Bombers have just had that time to prepare, that time to get healthy. Um, and I think they, they know how to deal with Nathan Rourke and, and the BC Lions. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, you know, BC's defense is going to have to be, you know, even that much more better than they were against than than they were against the Stamps. But um, yeah, I mean, I it's going to be difficult to topple the Bombers, not in this game at least. I'm I'm really interested as to the Bombers' game plan on both sides. And listen, I think the buy yeah. is huge. I mean, we've seen history, you know, dictate you know both in the National Football League and the CFL. If you are yeah. able to have that extra week of rest, get healthy. And this is as well a good of a prepared team as you'll see maybe in any sport. Yeah. Um, from a defensive standpoint with Rourke coming in and with his mobility limited, I really do think that this game, at least defensively, will rely on you – know, can the Bombers get to Nathan Rourke rushing for Willie J, Jackson Jeffcoat on the sides? And much like last year at times, we've seen – when those guys are double teamed or focused on, you got Jake Thomas, you got Casey Sales running up the middle. Will they be able to stop the BC run game? I think that will be very key. Butler was out, yeah. but we saw him yesterday chilling on the beach. Not sure how you get ready for a <laughs> November game in, winter, in uh, Winnipeg, yeah. but, but <laughs> getting that way, but whatever, you guys do you. Um, and Buck Pierce, we don't talk enough about Buck. But his game plans this year have been phenomenal. He's now got all of his weapons there for Zach Caleros. And it really does seem like the table is set that, um, you know, there'll be no excuses for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but I'm not sure that they'll need them because you add in everything that they've done to get themselves to this point, combined with the leadership, the game planning, and the preparation from Mike O'Shea that we all know has slipped all the way down to every member of that roster. Um, no one's going to come in and surprise the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And Scott, I'll be interested in your take. The one thing I was talking to Dusty about this on the lock shop today, let's not forget yeah. that in this situation last year, the Bombers came out and turned the football over five times in the first half <laughs> and the defense held them in. I think I'm quite safe in saying that that offense will remember that most of those players were still around. And in particular, Zach Caleros and, you know, game management, holding on to the football and not giving your opponent extra possessions and opportunities will be big. And I don't think we'll see a repeat of that. And I think this team is going to be ready to go right out of the gate. And this is going to be a huge test for Nathan Rourke coming into Winnipeg on Sunday. Yeah. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are a team that don't often make the same mistakes twice. Right. And, you know, I think if you look at that game and even look at the great cup last year, I mean, that it was a close game, of course. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that was the difference from the year, you know, or two years, I guess, prior to that um, in 2019. But no, I mean, this is a team and, and you kind of said it with the, the Butler on the beach thing, right? You know, while Butler's <laughs> doing that, the Bombers are on the practice field going over what needs to be done to beat the BC Lions. And, you know, whatever. I mean, you can say, well, Butler can do whatever he wants and blah, 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 blah. This Bombers team is so committed um to winning right it they're so like they're, they're, there's no other option um for this team you know they, they talk about it every week they go one and know um you know and this time they're talking about it's it's one or go home i mean that's the that that, that is uh, that is where they're at now in this scene but this team knows how to win they know how 
in every situation, right? You talked about last year the five turnovers in the in in in, in the first uh, part of that game, and and they still managed to pull it out, right? I mean, because be, when one when one facet of that team, one phase of that that team isn't working out, it always seems like the other ones, the the two, you know, special teams or defense or offense or whatever is not working. The other two always kind of pick up the slack and carry the other one through until they're ready to kind of, you know, take over again. And it, it's a team that you, you rarely, rarely, rarely beat um, in all three phases of a football game um, and, 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 and very difficult to beat them over four quarters of a football game. Um, oftentimes very difficult to just beat them in a quarter of a football game. Yeah, and, and the one you know, thing we also know, Scott, are. yeah, and they're not Excuse a team me. that yeah. beats themselves. That is for sure. And they'll, no. They'll be ready to go. I yeah. cannot wait for it. It should be great. Thanks so much for doing this. Great chat. Lots yeah. of uh, lots of very fun and positive topics to talk about in Winnipeg sports <laughs> right now, coming off that game Change, ahead eh? of the weekend. <laughs> we'll look forward to uh, doing it again with you uh, next week, Scotty. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, anytime, guys. Appreciate it. All right, there's Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun. Um, so, yeah, there's still are a few tickets available. As I see everyone in the chat, let's pack this place. If you were not at the West Final last year, uh, it is as memorable of a game in an environment I can ever remember being in, in an outdoor stadium. And I think it's going to be just as good coming up this Sunday and not quite as cold, so no excuses. Let's get there. And when you do... Make sure you get out early and check out the Princess Auto Tailgate Zone one more time this year at IG Field. The largest screen, the largest mobile screen in North America is going to be rolled out for uh, folks to watch the Argos and Alouettes play for the first spot in the Grey Cup game. $5 beers, $3.50 popping hot dogs, hot chocolate will be there. They'll have some warming stations. Get out there early before the game at the Princess Auto Tailgate. Of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of Winnipeg Sports Talk and your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West. And you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Uh, our friends at Culligan Water family-owned for over 65 years in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba, are the water experts and have everything you and your family need for all your water needs. Softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, and citywide water delivery services all over there at Culligan, as well as commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Go and see them in person at 1200 Sargent Avenue. You can give them a call at 204-694-5180. And, of course, you can check out all of their products and services online at drinkculligan.com. Uh, I'm not sure there's any of the uh, the uh, Canadian Club Chronicles 45-year left. Of course, there was only 80 bottles dropped when the, uh, uh, the uh, premium spirits uh, event on the weekend. That being said, I can guarantee you that Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, the official spirit of the Bombers, will be being poured on Sunday afternoon. Um, of course, Canadian Club, the official whiskey of the Blue Bombers, available throughout IG Field, along with all the Beam Suntory products. And if you're maybe looking to do something different than beers at the game, but you want a little kick, try the new Canadian Club and Ginger Ale. It's available in cans. It'll be available at the game if you haven't tried it. And of course, CC and Ginger now available in six packs at your local beer store as well. 
And, uh, you know, what? I got to give a shout out to Ben and the gang over at Boston Pizza last night. Uh, lots of excited Jet fans afterwards having a couple post the big win against the Dallas Stars. I got a chance to get into that craveable jalapeno popper dip again last night. That's part of the new fall menu. My God, is it good. Uh, also, checked out the creamy carbonara pizza. Highly recommended. I've not yet got done the spicy buffalo mac and cheese, but I'm looking forward to do that as well. Thursday night, we'll be back at it with NFL football, your favorite local Boston pizza. You'll chow down on pizza flights, get a nice cold bud for only five bucks, and enter to win the second grand prize, trip for two, airfare, hotel, Raiders, Niners tickets, and a New Year's Eve game between the Vegas Golden Knights and the St. Louis Blues, all courtesy of Boston Pizza. Watch the NFL and enter to win at any Winnipeg, Steinbeck, Selkirk, Morton, or Portage, Boston Pizza location. All right, let's get back to the Jets and that big win last night and welcome in Marat Atesh of The Athletic. Marat, what's good? How are you? Hey, it seems like the Jets are good. I think that's what's good these days, but, uh, you know, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm hanging out. Life is good here, too. What a night last night. Um, like, the, the game itself was amazing. We'll get into that. Awesome atmosphere in the building. Everything they did for that Filipino Heritage Night, I thought, was just an absolute home run. Tim Stapleton coming in. Somewhat funny that it was Jason Robertson that scored the lone goal for the Dallas Stars. And, I mean, just a great embracing of that game and the event from the Filipino community. I mean, it started off well, and it got even better, and it kept on getting better for a full 60 minutes. I asked Marat in our Why Not Question of the Day, fill in the blanks. That was the most impressive Jets win since I'm still sort of struggling to think about the last time I felt like I was very excited about the St. Louis game, but I mean, start to finish star players playing the way they did Connor Hellebuck, not having to be the best player on the ice Con major contributions from the bottom six special teams, toughness, and a full 60-minute effort? I mean, I don't know if there's a game that comes to your mind right off the bat, but I can tell you, I think it's been a while. You know, it would be a very different game without that level of control. But you know what I just did in my brain as you were, you were explaining all that is I skipped all of the way past that St. Louis game, past last season in its entirety, and I landed on Winnipeg's sweep of Edmonton in the playoffs in 2021. That's where I go for the last time I thought Winnipeg Jets fans were buzzing like they were in the arena in the, well, not then, but like in the arena, in the comment sections on Twitter, the vibes, uh, you know, seem to be in a place that I can't remember if I just limit the search to, to last season. Now my memory is not a steel trap, but I think that that's fair. I don't recall I don't recall the good news from last season in a way that rivals yesterday. Um, Hus, the other thing I want to say is, first question I asked Pierre-Luc Dubois today was, when a, when the fan base gets into it like that, the final buzzer goes, and they're louder than they've been in who knows how long. Do you guys clock that? And he said, well, 100% they do. Big smile lights up on his face, and it, it, it looked like... Um, there was this connection that he felt established by that too. He gave a good long answer, talked about it a little bit, but it's just that it's just that immediate recognition in his face that there's this joy that's back and he feels like the the belief is back in in the building. There's something, you know, 
who knows what happens this season. But right here on Wednesday, November 9th, I think it's a good time in Jets land for fans and players alike. Well, especially considering how much work needed to be done to even consider having conversations like this. You know, you came in with a lot of question marks about the personnel, changes that didn't happen. Like, can Rick Bonus really come in and, you know, almost single-handedly along with the staff completely change the bad habits that have crept into these games? And then the other thing that's very hard to quantify is just the level of team building culture that they've tried to put in that, you know, of course we talked to Mike yesterday and I know there's been a lot of talk about the, the pledge that the players have made together. I'll, I'll say this. I think from each level of the organization, there has been some acceptance and acknowledgement of some of the things that hindered this team in the past. And right from the get-go, whether it was Rick Bonus with the announcement of the captaincy right off the bat, whether it was the trip to Banff where they're spending a lot of time with each other working on these things, um, this has been a process over the course of the last month and a half to try to build a level of belief. And the word I just used was Scott, accountability to each other and themselves. And so far, so good. And it's almost even more crazy considering what happened with Rick Bonus missing, what, eight of the first 10 games that we are here. But I'll say this, when Bones got back, Marat, he was pretty clear that he thought the team um, was way, way away from where he wanted them to be, despite coming back with five of six points. We heard some honest comments from the players, probably some extra pats on the back for Connor Hellebuck. But, man, they've had some practice time, and I think that they've gotten better through these three games. And uh, they certainly finished off this homestand with as good of a performance as we've seen in a long time. And as much as it's fun for fans and people like myself to get all fired up about it, I think we're seeing a belief in that room that is growing. And, um, and I think it was a difficult thing to get that right off the bat, considering what had gone on for the last couple seasons. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that deserve a lot of credit right now. And uh, the proof's in the pudding when you look at the standings in the Central Division and see the Jets right up there in first place right now. Yeah, I'll be the first to say not all eight of the wins looked as good as the most recent couple have. But it's a good team that's done the right things, like you say. And Hus, for me, I, I just you know want to keep going on that Rick Bonus conversation where... He's sort of going straight out of leadership 101 or maybe 201 or the advanced class or whatever it is in terms of so much of what he's done so far. And taking the captaincy away from Blake Wheeler was part of it. Um, he told us today, and it's not something that, you know, has been a secret. He said this multiple times so far this season, is that when he was talking to Jets players over the course of the summer, they sort of said, you know, to a man, all of them wanted a bigger piece of the dressing room. Um, and that meant having their voices heard, whether they got the most minutes or the fewest minutes on the on the team. You saw Brendan Dillon say, I think it was yesterday or two days ago now, where um, no, where Cole Perfetti can teach him things. He can teach other people things. Everybody has something to, to teach and to learn. You you know about the the pledge on the dressing room wall that they've all signed. Uh, you know about the trip to Banff and all these sorts of things. And it's my understanding that this isn't all fluff it's it's not fluff and that there's a sincerity that comes from actual difficult conversations that have been had and you know and that includes 
some players from previous eras of the Winnipeg Jets saying openly to each other in, in this year's Jets dressing room that, hey, we didn't feel like we could speak our voice in years past, and now we want that for us. And I know that this is all, you know, you know, summer camp sounding stuff in, in, in a sort of way, and maybe in, in a way it was all summertime and camp stuff, but it's real human stuff when it's backed up by action and by commitment and by dedication and all of those things that, you know, the intangibles that go into, into performance. And I think that's something you and me, we've talked about a few times this year, that we know sort of more or less what this team is on paper, how far it goes this season was always going to be about the human element of the game. And I think that things are going well on that front so far this season. And Rick Bonus and whichever members of the assistant coaching staff have gone into helping them build that program deserve a ton of credit for that. You think that post-game beer in the coach's office tasted a little better for Bones last night considering the way his team played and, of course, who the opponent was? 100% I do. I think that the uh, the the revenge of Winnipeg's initial loss where they played so poorly against Dallas, that's one thing. But beating his former team, he'd spent the previous day or two talking about, hey, Pete DeBoer has done such a good job with the Dallas Stars. And I don't think that hurts Rick Bonus to say. I think he's stable enough as a person to compliment somebody else about a job like that. But you also know he wanted to win that game. And Mark Shively told us that after the game last night, too. Like, we 100% wanted to do this for Bones. We wanted to make sure that he got that win. We had it circled on the calendar. That was an important game for us, especially at home. So, uh, yeah, 100%. I think that the vibes are good on a night like that. Uh, Murata Tesh of The Athletic with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, Mark Shifley, um, needless to say, I've spent a lot of oxygen talking about 55 over a number of years, but especially last season. Um what, what did you think about his play last night? And in particular, the way that that line clicked. I mean, we can't mention those guys without talking about the game that Mason Appleton had. But also something, we played this clip, and I know you were there last night and heard Rick Bonus talk about it. Um, they gave up the first goal, and it was that line that was on the ice. And Rick Bonus left them out, went right back out there. And you want to talk about a response. That wasn't just getting them back to even. I mean, that was an absolute explosion uh, at which point the team never looked back. Thoughts on that line, but particularly Shifley and where he's at right now compared to the Mark Shifley we saw in the second half of last season. Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's night and day. And that doesn't mean he was a completely flawed player last year or that he's a completely perfect player now. I mean, three dimensions in all things always. But it is still a, a real night and day change, I think. And you know what? I just I, I can't help but mention Mason Appleton in this. Um, I asked him yesterday if it was fair to say that getting scored against led to you know a positive kind of anger that fueled that. And yeah, he didn't shy away from that. He said, "Yeah, it's good to be upset about that." But of course, the anger only lasted twenty seconds or so because that's how long it took for them to get their next goal. Um, back to Shifley. I wrote about this at the Athletic last night. I think it published at three in the morning or something like that. But it's basically an essay about Mark Shifley's improvement this year, his dedication, um, the relationship and trust he seems to have built with Rick Bonus. Both, both of them used the word trust many, many times last night. And I think it's real. And so in terms of his performance, both of his goals kind of tap-ins, um, give him credit for getting into blind spots over defensemen's shoulders to take the passes and tap in those pucks. 
But of course, you got to credit Mason Appleton and Kyle Connor for the passes that led to him. So that's great work by everybody on that top line. But for me, there's a couple of other moments. Um, we've talked a lot about puck management at Winnipeg's zone blue line. They're trying to get the puck out of their zone, in and into the neutral zone, get an attack going. And Mark Scheifele and Kyle Connor in particular have struggled with that. Um, early in the season, they struggled with that, where they were cheating for offense, or if not cheating for offense, they were sort of anticipating it. They were anticipating that the play they were going to make was going to get the puck going north, heading to the other zone, and they got caught on the wrong side. Then it led to long shifts in Winnipeg's own zone. Well, last year, when that sort of thing would happen, you'd see the curl back, the exaggerated curl back, as those players kind of were on the wrong side of their man for the rest of the shift. This season, yes, puck management was an issue early, but you saw them. And I broke down clips of shifts like this where Mark Scheifele is digging in. He's a minute plus into a shift. Somebody else makes a giveaway. He's on the wrong side of his man, but as exhausted as he probably is, he digs in, he makes the hard stop, he goes the other way, and he starts his coverage once again. There's a renewed vigor and dedication, I think, in Mark Scheifele's game right now that is there on the shifts that look great and the shifts that don't look so good as well. And the last one that I, I just want to highlight, a very specific moment. I wrote about this at the site too, but halfway through last game, you remember there's a really brief Connor Shifley Wheeler reunion as some of the line shuffling, uh, just it overlapped, the line change overlapped. And there's a puck that's heading into Dallas's corner. It's Shifley has to beat a Dallas defenseman in the slot, out muscles him, the puck gets to the corner. He's still out muscling and out battling that, that defenseman. And then he makes a last ditch reach and lunge with his stick to knock the puck free. He's won a physical battle where he started behind the defenseman. He asserted his body position. He wins the battle. He knocks that puck free. He ends up setting up Blake Wheeler for just a beautiful chance. Wheeler misses. That happens. Okay, that's fine. But talk about the dedication and determination of Shifley to you know initiate contact take contact later on. And then in one of those plays that you know, I've watched clips of Adam Oates, the skill coach, breaking these things down and saying, we don't want players engaging in contact in just this exact way. Well, that's exactly how Shifley won the puck. Great A chance for Blake Wheeler right off, the, right off the result of that. This, for me, is a symbol of team first play that maybe I'm just a writer I'm looking for, but I think it's a great sign. I really think it's important. Yeah, listen, I don't want to get on the Adam Oates effect, but I think you were bang on there. And, you know, I think in ways that has been sort of counter to what previous coaches have been trying to get through to and have as the standard. And, you know, as of right now, he has absolutely bought in. He is playing. He's the best version of himself right now. And I think both the what he's doing on the ice right now, but as well as, you know, buying in, taking the shorter shifts. We all remember what happened in the preseason. That's been corrected. And seeing the way everyone else is pulling on it. I mean, there was a time where it was basically if those guys, the big guys at the top weren't getting it done, the team wasn't winning. Adam Lowry's line, which we're going to get to in a minute, the fourth line, Pierre-Luc Dubois' play, leading along with Perfetti and Wheeler. Um, everyone had a piece of that win last night, and everyone seems to be pulling on the same rope. And, it is a very, very positive development of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts about Saku Menelainen. Shout out to Saku. Got to play live his life for his first home goal and his first goal as a Winnipeg Jet. And Axel Janssen Fialbi. I have absolutely loved those guys playing with Adam Lowry over the last couple of games. And 
I don't know whether I can say that's the best version we've seen of a third line so far, but I'll tell you what, it's pretty damn close. Um, what do you think Rick Bonus is seeing in that line and that combination right now? And hopefully we get Nikolai Ehlers back in the lineup sometime soon. What does that do to Rick Bonus's options as to how he assembles that bottom six right now when Mason Appleton presumably heads back to either the third or fourth line? I mean, yeah, for now, nothing but pleasant surprises. I mean, Saku Madalainen, what a, what, a, what a signing, right? I mean, this is a player who went overseas to rejuvenate his career. I think he led his Finnish team in scoring last year, but it wasn't the sort of performance that says he's going to be a, a surefire NHLer or uh, something to that effect. But he was really, really effective. Um, and then Axel Jonsson Fjallby, where they're, they're plucking him off of waivers, a player that Scott Arneal had a previous familiarity with. In past years, I mean, I think of the guys that Winnipeg picked up off of waivers, and like, a, you know, was it Lucas Spiza? Was it um, um, fourth-line center whose name is escaping me? This is embarrassing, but um, that they got from Toronto. Anyway, um, the point that I'm trying to make is that when Winnipeg oh, went these uh, routes... Oh, Parr. Wasn't that guy's name Parr? Parr Lindholm. Parr Lindholm. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, him as well. Um, the, the success just wasn't there. We reached a, a new level there where it seems like this season looks like a win for the pro scouts or the coaches or who's ever leading the way in those particular pickups. Live is Life, or is that the name of the song? That was on yeah. like one of the first like sports songs, mixed CDs I ever had in my life, like playing NHL 94 in the basement or whatever, you know what I mean? That song was so thank you, Saku Manalainen, for that being brought back. Um, Jonsson Fialbi, just dog it on that four check. Not only winning the pucks now, but he's making some dangerous passes to Manalainen. And to, there was one for Dylan DeMello who was pinching it at the time too. They're doing quite a lot. And Adam Lowry uh, shouldn't get lost in any of that either. I mean, you mentioned it already, but this has been a strong start to Adam Lowry's season. Points are coming at five on, or sorry, on the sh while shorthanded predominantly. But at five on five, he's had a pretty big impact too. Um, so what do you do when Mason Appleton returns down to that level and Nick Ehlers is a first-line winger once again? Um, you know, I, I think that that healthy competition is a is a real thing. Um, I think we're a ways from Ehlers' return still, but uh, it's it's not that far away. That is going to be a, a fun and good problem for the Jets to sort out. Hey, quickly, uh, huge numbers today. We're pushing 500 live with us on YouTube right now. Thanks to everyone. If you're new here, make sure to hit that red subscribe button. Would love to see you daily talking Jets and more here on Winnipeg Sports Talk live at 1 p.m. And for everyone that hasn't already, do us a favor. This will be a great show today with the team in first place. Hit that thumbs up. Helps us spread the channel. We got a ton of people in here. Let's get that number over two, hun. If you would be so kind as to just hit the thumbs up, it's literally the easiest thing you can do. Um, speaking of that fourth line, what have you thought of Jansen Harkins in these last two games since he's come back in? Um, listen, I, I, he looks, I don't want to say he looks like a different player to me, Marat, but I think that time with the Manitoba Moose did him very well to get back to really establishing a confidence level in him. And I think he's rewarded the coaches with some of his best play um, on a fourth line that actually is now playing, which is a far cry from the situation <laughs> that even when he was in the lineup, he found himself last season. Yeah, I mean, 
definitely it goes a long way when you're able to play that fourth line. Somebody at The Athletic made a great point today. Sometimes when you're a good team, you get the lead and you're able to play your fourth line more. And other times when you're a good team, you're deep and you can trust that fourth line more right from the get-go. So far, it looks like a little bit of both for Winnipeg. Good signs there. Uh, Jansen Harkins, my read on him is of all of the players, and we know confidence is important for these guys. We know that their belief in their own game is such an important thing. I think he's somebody whose confidence has been put through the ringer these last couple of years with um, fourth line minutes, a couple of shifts with Andrew Kopp on the third line. He gets a couple of points, goes back down um, when when Morgan Barron comes over. I think that there's been some rattled confidence. That's just my read. He hasn't said those words to me, um, but that's just my read. And I think that being sent down too this year could have been a real blow to his confidence once again. And yet he went to the Moose and he dominated. And you hear everybody from there say that, well, he was their best player on a lot of nights, best forward on a lot of nights. He scored at a goal per game rate for most of his time there. And now that he's come back up, strange that they didn't put him right back into the lineup. Uh, Tony Nato got in there first, I think. And then now your question, what have I thought? And I can point to a whole bunch of clips in my mind, two, three, four plays um, from last night's game where the fourth line was buzzing. There's a loose puck. It's a rebound or the puck's going to the wall or the corner. And Jackson Harkins is first on it. He wins that puck and then he passes it to one of his line mates to continue that offensive zone shift. Um, that's the stuff that I like from those guys. Like when you have his speed and his energy level, that's what you want to see is a guy who extends shifts. And I mean, I don't think I saw that for the first, uh, first, for the first little while in training camp. Um, so I think it's a good sign the longer he can keep that alive, the longer he becomes a surefire NHL player as opposed to a guy kind of caught in between. Yeah, and, and listen, I know there were some questions about Tonanato going in. I mean, guys, I mean, listen, they had training camp. They had a preseason. Harkins got sent down. Tonanato didn't, and he hadn't played very much. He'd been the 13th forward, but I think he was ahead of him on the depth chart. That being said, they wanted to give Harkins a look. Came in against Chicago, played very well, had another real strong game, and as sorta, and this gets back to the internal competition, um, announced himself as, you know, maybe a different player than they saw at the beginning of training camp, and it's a great development. And again, that fourth line's being used in some high leverage leverage situations and playing more than they've had before, and I think everyone is benefiting from that. By the way, special special hello to the legend. Mean Gene Okerlund, who has shown up in chat. And by the way, Lowry's right hand, I was killing myself at your honorary oose blast in the in the chat as well. Keep up the good stuff in the chat and uh, hit that thumbs up as uh, as we spread. Marat, now a little bit more practice time. This is, um, you know, if there was ever a time for Rick Bonus to get back with the club, after that three and four in the Pacific time zone, where they got the results but knew they needed to play much better, with some practice time, I think we've seen this team continue to raise their level of play. A couple more practices, then back-to-back games, and then a few more days. Um, how valuable do you think this time can be for the Winnipeg Jets, considering the way they're playing, but you know, wanting to get and continue those habits on a daily basis so they can consistently come with performance like this, taking advantage of this schedule with practice time, um, before they get into a much busier part of the schedule coming up in about a week and a half. Yeah, I go a couple of ways on that. I, I think maybe there's a part of them that might just want to get right back out there tonight or tomorrow night to 
try to keep the good feelings alive and, and rack up points while while the going's good. And then part of me goes back to what you said. And with Rick Bonus's absence for a long stretch, it might just feel good for a lot of these guys to have a little bit of consistency under the, the same coach. If you look to today's practice for clues, there's a little bit of an interesting twist where the top six was mixed up for a little bit. And you had Pierre-Luc Dubois playing center with Mark Scheifele on the right side and Kyle Connor on the left. And you had a little bit of Blake Wheeler in the middle uh, between Mason Appleton and Cole Perfetti for stretches as well. So the Jets are, are considering some wrinkles. Rick Bonus said that he's going to go back to his original lines, you know, for, for the next game. But he wanted to be ready in case, uh, just in case. He didn't say which situations, but he said there might be certain situations where he'd want a different look. And my read on this, Huss, and it goes to your question about, you know, the importance of practice time right now. Um, and I asked Bonus about this too, is that what he's doing by mixing up the lines on a day like this is creating variety for these guys within the confines of the systems and all the teaching and all of that sort of stuff. But it creates variety so nobody gets too comfy with 8-3-1 and one, or with a share of first place in the central division. If things are always changing just a little bit, I think it's just a good way. It's a nice little tool in Bonus's skill set that's going to keep things fresh for these next couple of days as he continues to teach and continues to build uh, in advance of that back-to-back with Seattle and Calgary. Speaking of that back-to-back with Seattle and Calgary, um, Calgary is in a real funk right now. And take it from me, who's lost a couple of pretty nice wagers with them blowing two goal leads in the third period. And then I rolled into BP afterwards for one after the game and got a chance to see the Seattle Kraken win their fifth game in a row. Um, Hands up if you thought Calgary would be the struggling team and the Kraken would be the team on the roll when the team got in. Um, All that being said, you know that Calgary is going to be in an ornery mood. Uh, I think back to the preseason game that these teams played and you know, the physicality that, you know, the Jets a little bit got pushed around a bit. And I think back to Brendan Dillon's response last night and maybe a little bit of a statement to everyone else that doesn't want to mess with the Winnipeg Jets. Um, We know Daryl Sutter and we know the type of teams that he has. And we know that everyone's probably in a very pissed off mood in and around Southern Alberta. What do you expect of a challenge for the Jets when they go into Calgary, trying to keep their streak going and extend Calgary's streak as well? Yeah, I mean, here we go, right? There's a there's a certain couple of teams, and for whatever reason, I put Toronto right up there too. That whenever Winnipeg plays them, there's a little bit of fireworks right now, and there's a a little bit of extra physicality. You saw that. You saw some hits that Jets fans would absolutely not have liked during preseason um, preseason action against Calgary. And I also think that it's kind of a fingerprint of Sutter teams. You know, if 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 you're not winning, if you're not scoring help somehow else. And, you know, on those Sutter teams, that means physicality. It means playing with that edge, laying that hit, finishing that check, and put all those things together. And, yeah, I think that there's going to be, you know, an extremely competitive group. I don't think the spirit's gone from the flames already. I don't think that it's just going to be the Jets walking all over them or or what have you. And I think if the Jets think that way, then that's probably going to be a long night. Um, So, yeah, I think that there's going to be plenty of that physicality. Brendan Dillon with Winnipeg's first, you want to say, real fight of the season. Josh Morrissey with Morgan Riley earlier, I suppose, as well, could count. Um, it's, a, it's a good time, I think, for the team to be as cohesive as it is and not to make too much out of one game against one team when lots of them are tough. But you're right. I think it's a little bit unique 
in Calgary right now, and Winnipeg should be ready for that. Have you uh, have you seen much of the Kraken at all this year? I mean, uh, listen, I'll be honest. I had caught a little bit of one of their games earlier this year, but watched quite a bit of the game yesterday. Now, they were being outshot for a while. UC Saros had a really, really rough night. I think he led in four and only made two saves or something like that. But, um, you know, after a, a disappointing exhibition season, at least as far as standards that were set by previous expansion teams like the Vegas Golden Knights, Seems like there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of mojo growing in Seattle right now, and I'm uh, very interested to see the way the Winnipeg Jets handle the Kraken. Of course, knowing that you know they'll be playing in Calgary the night before. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I wrote about the Kraken. I did an NHL wide piece, um, you know, just at the tail end of training camp. I think it was trying to guess that which teams could improve, not necessarily be the contenders, but improve by you know 10, 15 points or so. You know a real substantial improvement this year compared to last. Winnipeg was one of them, by the way, uh, as an honorable mention, based on Rick Bonus and what we had seen in camp to that effect. Seattle was another, uh, second full season under their coach. And you know that last season, their systems looked good until they fell completely apart. I can think of the Jets game in Seattle where the Kraken like to play, I want to call it a swarm. I don't know if they call it that but they're really overloading the strong side of the ice where the puck is. They're overloading that side of the ice in their defensive zone. And um, against Winnipeg, it looked suffocating until Winnipeg made a special play, moved the puck to the other end of the ice, and all of a sudden the Jets had somebody with all kinds of time and space. So I kind of wondered, hey, is this why their goaltending looked so bad last year? Because their defense was good. There weren't a lot of chances, but all of a sudden they were extremely high quality. And I don't know if that was the case for all their games. This year... It seems like, and I haven't seen a lot of crack in action, I should say that to be to be clear, but it seems as though the defense is tight, the secondary scoring is there in a way that it wasn't necessarily there last year as well, and for whatever reason, they're able to put just enough together in so many of their different games to become a winning team, and for me, that's just fun. I like the idea of that kind of improvement. I still think of it as a game that Winnipeg should win, but maybe I'm underestimating Seattle, and that's what other teams have done and why why they're winning as well as they have. Hey, just before we go, by the way, shout out to Remus, who's popped into the chat in between Remo. daddy duty, the new dad. Congratulations, Congratulations my man. He's got a nice little wrench beside his name in the chat too. I wonder how he got that avatar. Maybe because he runs the entire site and the chat. Um, <laughs> I joked last week when we were talking about the St. Louis blues, that the jets broke the blues with that game when they came in at three and oh, <laughs> They've lost eight straight in regulation right now, Marat. Um, you lose eight straight in the National Hockey League, and it puts a lot of pressure on you the rest of the season to play at a much higher level. Any thoughts on what the heck's happened to the Blues, who were 3-0 and and had just shut out the Oilers when they came to Winnipeg two weeks ago? Well, first of all, I think it's distinctly possible, and we need to investigate the possibility that you're more powerful than we ever believed before, and that you're absolutely <laughs> right. They did break St. Louis. Um, so that, like, I don't have the evidence or the deep dive. I don't know what you have on that. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, we were talking, I, I sit beside Ken Weeb in the press box. We were talking about that a little bit last night. And he sort of made the point that, you know, what, a, what an interesting play for them to have bet on Jordan Bennington over Ville Husso, who kind of, you know, picked them up when they needed it last year. And you look back at Jordan Bennington's numbers since, uh, 2018, 19, when St. Louis won the cup and he was amazing in it. Um, 
it hasn't been that great for him. That's that's one spot that I would look to is St. Louis's goaltending, and it's despite how how um, like gangbusters Jordan Bennington came into the league. I don't think of him as somebody that you can really trust anymore. In in as in terms of a surefire elite starter, that's one thing. But then I also I read Jeremy Rutherford's stories at the Athletic, and you have Ryan O'Reilly, who I tend to think of as an almost perfect player most of the time. He has the offense, has the defense, has the commitment. He's saying he's been terrible so far this season. Um, the transition of I don't want to say power, but the transition to Cairo and Robert Thomas leading the way. I mean, I guess they haven't produced quite as much so far as they did last year as well. But, like, why are they so bad? Why have they lost eight? I mean, maybe that's a little bit of a lot of things. And, um, you know, I, I'll definitely be reading some Rutherford after this just to get my, my head back around it. Because if he can't explain it, then it is you. And it, it is your, your assertion. <laughs> the Blues are broken. Eight in a row. Well, I, I'll say this. is The Wild had a bit of a iffy start. They bounce back, but they're still not where they want to be. We all expect Colorado to eventually probably take over and be the number one team in the league. But I guess the point is right now that these points that the Jets are stacking up with this nice early start, with the great play by Hellebuck on the road, with these performances at home, are putting themselves... I mean, our guy Dom now has them pushing 60% to make the playoffs, and that number was 30 on his model at the beginning of the season. Um you have a lot of positive results, positive reinforcement for a team doing new things. Not to mention nights like last night where they're getting two points and the rest of the division is losing. And, um, you know, we'll get past American Thanksgiving into the holiday season if the Jets can continue to do what they've done so far this season, Marat. I think many of the, uh, the conversations we had around the team as far as will this team, could they be in the mix at the end? Um, they have the potential to be more than a mix and it's, partly because of the way they're playing and partly because it's a disappointing performances early in the year from other teams in their division, which much more was expected of. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're at, um, you know, guarantee the playoffs territory yet, but maybe don't plan a late April, early May vacation uh, just yet. If you're a Jets fan, um, I don't know who, what, where you go at the end of April, but anyway, don't do it. Um, I think that, it's, it's nice for Winnipeg that the door has been opened by a team like St. Louis struggling that badly. Colorado, of course, you know, hasn't dominated the league yet. And also, I think for a while they played fewer games than a lot of other teams because of the, the global series as well. So that's a situation to watch. I think we expect them to surpass a lot of teams in the West uh, as, as time goes by. Um, so there are reasons, I think. If you want to make a laundry list of reasons to, to have a little bit of I don't, I don't know if concern or cautious, add some cautiousness to the optimism. Well, teams like that, that you expect to be good, Colorado for sure, um, you know, they'll get good. I think that we can count on that. Uh, Winnipeg, a few points from overtime wins that, um, you know, three on three isn't a thing in the playoffs. That's, you could point to that. You could point to those games where Connor Hellebuck and David Riddick were, were stealing points for the Winnipeg Jets. All of that's very real. Um, at the same time, these last three games have become progressively more convincing for me. So, you know, Montreal, Chicago, yeah, the quality of competition isn't there as much, but Winnipeg played the right way, did what it needed to do. That Dallas win, like, I don't know if it's getting overlooked, but Dallas played pretty well in that first period on the counterattack. And Winnipeg was able to weather that and control, get even more, way more of the chances. 
I like how Winnipeg has played, and I believe enough in terms of what we've seen from camp onwards, in terms of systems play, all this sort of stuff, that they're real. Are they great all the way through the year? I don't know that, but I think that they're good. I think this is a very real thing to, to be happy about if you're if you're cheering for them. Folks, Marat's latest, and you're going to love the title of this one, The Athletic. Mark Shifley, Rick Bonus, and trust how the Winnipeg Jets took first place in the Central Division. It's up right now at The Athletic. Marat, enjoy a couple days before uh, the next big game, and uh, have a great weekend with a couple late-night starts for the squad out west. Thanks so much for doing this, as always. Hey, th Hustler, thank you so much for having me, as always. There it is, Murat Atash at WPG Murat on Twitter. And make sure you check out his latest and all of his work covering the Winnipeg Jets and the National Hockey League at The Athletic. Well, Jets off for a few days, but tonight the ice are back at it. Big shout out and congratulations to the Winnipeg Ice. They handed the Red Deer Rebels their first loss of the season last night. 3-1 at the Ice Cave. And the rematch is tonight. If you're looking for something to do tonight and a great, great matchup and a great hockey game between two of the best teams in Canada. The Ice Cave is the place to be tonight. You can get tickets at Winnipeg at the Winnipeg Ice website. And uh, we're looking forward to talking about it tomorrow. Hopefully another win. Ice now 16-1 and on the season and Red Deer 15-1 and after their first loss of the year. Um, we are going to talk to Steve Simmons coming up in just a second. I, I guess before we do that, do want to thank our friends at the Nick and Nikki DQ group for the great support of WST since day one. And we always joke about how our viewers and listeners are so great at supporting our sponsors for helping us make this happen each and every day. Uh, but I don't think there's any of our great sponsors that people enjoy supporting more than DQ uh, because of the good stuff they get when they pop by and see Nick and Nikki, of course, four locations, DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and the DQ on St. Anne's. Got those great stack burgers, chicken fingers, and more. Blizzard treats, ice cream novelties, the old peanut buster parfait, all ready for you at your local Nick and Nicky DQ. And if you do need an ice cream cake for an upcoming party, birthday, or an event, you can always hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. If you want to get something custom made, send them a pic. I'll make it up, get it ready for you for a quick and easy pickup at your local Nick and Nikki DQ. All right. And hey, our friends at Little Brown Jug are ready for the Bombers push. If you're doing a little tailgating, may I suggest you grab the good stuff, Winnipeg's favorite local beer, and our great sponsor, Little Brown Jug, in the 1919. The Good Times Variety Pack with some new versions right now. And, of course, the best place to do is pop down to the brewery and tap room on William Avenue down in the Exchange. Try them all, or as many as you'd like to get through. Grab some merchandise and your favorite beers to take home. Of course, Little Brown Jug also available at fine beer stores throughout the city and 1919 on tap at fine bars and restaurants as well. And tomorrow, um, we've got a little Little Brown Jug's doing a little bit of a promo and a survey that they're launching. Um, and certainly, you know, I think it's partly uh, you know a bit of a marketing survey as far as what they do, how they connect with people. Uh, we certainly love the support we've got from them, and I think they're one of the most popular sponsors we have as well. But we'll be dropping that tomorrow. I think I'll have details, a link, and you can all go there, fill it out, hopefully say some great things about your boys at WST and our relationship with Little Brown Jug, and they will be giving away to one person that fills it out a uh, nice package for a big-time Grey Cup party 
filled with Winnipeg's favorite local beer, 1919. So we'll fill you in on that tomorrow and for the next week heading into Grey Cup week. Speaking of Grey Cup week, Steve Simmons has been covering the Canadian Football League for, well, 40 years. He'll be in Regina next week. I thought this would be a perfect time to have Steve on. We wanted to talk about his career and the new book he's got called A Lucky Life. But we also wanted to get to his thoughts on uh, Argos, Alouettes, and of course, what the Bombers have done and what the bo- what the Bombers are on the verge of doing if they can win for two more games. Here's our conversation with uh, Canada's preeminent columnist, Steve Simmons on WST. All right, very pleased to welcome back Steve Simmons to the program who has a new book out. It is called A Lucky Life, Gretzky, Crosby, Kawhi, and more from the best seat in the house, 40 years in the business. Really looking for, uh, looking forward to talking to Steve about this. What's going on, Cy? How are you? Just getting ready for the weekend and the football games and heading to Regina next week for Grey Cup. It's a, it's a busy time. We just came off the World Series, a busy time of year. Yeah, no doubt about it. Listen, just quickly before we get to the book, um, you sort of mentioned the topic around here, although Jets in first place is quite fun to talk about as well. But Bombers and Lions coming up this weekend, that'll be the second game. Uh, what is there any buzz right now uh, in and around Toronto for this Argos game on the weekend? they got a real quality team. They've earned home field. Um, it's sort of been a real problem area for the Canadian Football League. I think anyone that loves the league would love nothing more to see a great atmosphere and a great game between the Argos and the Alouettes. Uh, what the, what's the story out East going into the East final? Um, the story, as always, is that nobody even knows this is happening. Um, and, it you know, the weirdest thing with the Argos is they have no live gate crowd and a pretty good TV audience. And so, you know, it's funny to, to, to you know, Toronto FC is the opposite, the soccer team here. The soccer team draws fantastic, and they can't get people to watch it on television. And the football team doesn't draw and they have a good pe- crowd of people watching on TV. And so I suspect a lot of people will be watching Toronto and Montreal play on Sunday, but I don't know how many will actually be in the ballpark. Um, I mean, I know you've probably thought and conversed about this for years, but um, what is the future for the CFL in Toronto right now? And, and and is there one thing that needs to happen to try to get it going in the right direction? Or uh, is it basically this is it? I had this conversation with Randy Ambrosi, the CFL commissioner, when he was named commissioner. I can't remember how many years ago that is now, but I think it's like five. And he's, I'm a Toronto guy. This is where I, I do my work. This is where I'm from. Um, I'm gonna, f- we're gonna work on this and we're gonna fix this. And five years later, nothing's changed. And I think this is one of, this is Rubik's cube territory. Like this is one of those things you can't solve. And so, you know, what's the future? The future is what it is right now unless somebody comes in with some ideas to market and sell and get kids involved and get ethnics involved. And, you know, Toronto has changed so much when you walk around the city and you look at what Toronto looks like today and you look at an Argo crowd and it's as, as, as white as a young kid's teeth. I mean, it's, it's a very white old crowd and they need to, they need the crowd to look like Toronto. And it doesn't. And that's just one of probably a thousand things that goes on. And this is a fantastic football market. Like people love the NFL here. And, you know, the NFL gets great television audience. I mean, the TSN ratings for 
for the NFL games on, on Thursday nights and, and Sunday nights and whatever are, are terrific. And so people are watching uh, and people are following with their fantasy leagues and their betting and everything else. But how do you engage the CFL person? If I, if I was smart enough to do that, I'd buy the team and turn it around. It's just so bizarre that in that market, it seems like it's one or the other. I mean, I watch every single one of those NFL games. I go to NFL games. I play football. I, or sorry, I play fantasy. I bet on it. And I'm fired up for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when they're playing and for the CFL games on. I mean, I'm a football fan. More football, the better, if you ask me. I, it sucks that, you know, some people feel they have to choose. I've got two kids. They're both in their 30s. They are football nuts. One of them is NFL and NFL and NFL and nothing else. The other one will watch college football on Saturday and, and NFL on Sunday and CFL when it's on and, and Thursday night, University of Ohio football playing Buffalo. Like he just loves football and he'll watch anything. And they, these guys grew up in the same house with the same dad and, and me trying to get them to go to Argo games. And one of them from almost the beginning had no interest in, and one of them is very interested. And, and, and why that is, you know, I don't know what happens in any other house. You know, you, you, kids normally follow your interests to a degree, but I've got one that, you know, never took one bit of interest from, maybe his friends weren't interested, maybe his group wasn't interested, who knows. But if I ever say to him, I got two Argo tickets this weekend, you want them, you know, he would, he would giggle. Um, and so that's short of the perception now, if you walk down Young Street today and you said, name three Argo players, I think most people would not know one. They might know one. I don't think they'd know three. If you ask anybody who the coach of the Argos is, this is a city where we, we talk about coaches every day. You know, <laughs> Blue Jays lose, and what do they talk about? John Schneider's decisions. Um, you know, Sheldon Keith gets debated every day on, on TV and radio. Ryan Dinwiddie? Doesn't even register. I bet the guy you'd hear the name the most of is Pinball, <laughs> to be honest. Well, and he's it is. neither and, a player and, or the coach right now. Yeah, and and because he's the he he's the most beloved figure probably in the history of this city sporting wise. And even Pinball, the most beloved figure, hasn't been able to figure out a way to get and it's a fabulous Bemo's a great stadium. That's the weird thing about this. It's a perfect CFL stadium. And they haven't found a way to get, um, you know, 20,000 in there on a regular basis. Yeah, well, it really is too bad. Hopefully some people will show up and hopefully we'll have a great game. I can guarantee you that people will be showing up here in the peg at IG Field for this Bombers-Lions game. Um, Steve, just before we talk about the book, I mean, you've covered this league for a long time. The Bombers are trying to do something that no team has done since the Warren Moon Edmonton teams of the early 80s. Um, from out east, what are your observations of the Bombers? How good is this squad? And how special and significant will it be if they can turn the hat trick? Well, first off, this is the, this is the greatest Western final from a sports writer point of view that I can remember in such a long time because there's no loser here. If Winnipeg goes to the Grey Cup, we have the story of a team going for three in a row in sports when nobody wins three in a row anymore in any sport. Uh, and then you have, if not, you've got Nathan Rourke, you know, the Canadian quarterbacking in the Grey Cup. You know, unbelievable season. I, I wish he had played the whole year. But what a story this kid has written. 
And if he comes in and wins on Sunday, you know, even better. And that gives us something, you know, we can revisit Russ Jackson a hundred times over and over again next week because, you know, Russ Jackson being the greatest Canadian player in, in CFL history. And, and Nathan Rourke in one year has done things that, that are just, well, I hate the word unbelievable, but he's done things that are unbelievable. And, uh, and if he's there, that's great. If you look at the Bombers going for three in a row, um, the New York Islanders are the last NHL team to win three in a row. That was in the early 80s. The Eskimos, um, before changing names, won the five in a row in the 80s. Um, go back the NFL, the last team to win. I don't think I, no Super Bowl team, by the way, has won three in a row. So you've got a lot of teams that have won two in a row. Nobody did three. And in the NBA, the last two teams were the Kobe Bryant, um, Shaq Lakers and the, uh, the Michael Jordan Bulls. So that's how long it's been since anyone's done three in a row. So to do three in a row with us, with missing a year. You know, I, I just think the world of, of what Mike O'Shea has done and Kyle Walters, what those guys have put together. And, and frankly, I fully expect them to, to win, you know, this week and next week. But, you know, that's why they play the games. Yeah, the uh, and, and it's even more um, amazing considering the 29-year drought and the misery around that team going in. Uh, listen, it's going to be a great weekend in the Canadian Football League and should be a very fun week in Regina, despite the host being nowhere to be found in the playoff tournament. Steve Simmons is with us, 40-plus years in the business, and now has the new book, uh, A Lucky Life, Gretzky, Crosby, Kawhi. More from the best seat in the house. Sai, you wrote written other books before. Um, how different was this project as opposed to some of your previous works, like the the piece on uh, Mike Danton? Well, this book is a collection of work that has already been done, um, and and so what it is, it's kind of a forty year history of Canadian sport and looking at you know events that I happen to be fortunate enough to be at, and that's where where the book kind of started with. Um, we were hanging around, a bunch of us were hanging around, not people in the business, but just talking about where were you when man was on the moon? Where were you when Kennedy was assassinated? And where were you when this happened? And then we started talking about sports. Uh, where were you when Joe Carter hit the home run? Where were you when Robbie Alomar hit the home run in Oakland? Or Donovan Bailey won the hundreds in, in Atlanta? Or Sid Crosby scored in overtime in Vancouver? Or Kawhi hit the shot that put, put the Raptors into the Eastern Conference final that's still bouncing? Um, and I started listening to this conversation and I'm thinking, I was there when Crosby scored and I was there when Carter hit the home run and I was there when Alomar hit the home run and I was there when Ed Sprague hit the pinch hit home run in Atlanta in 92. And you start going through all the things and you're thinking, well, that's a pretty darn lucky life. And that's wh where the title came from. But that's where I decided to put a book together. And I wanted to include all of these historical stories. And then a lot of stories about just people and circumstance. And so some of the people in the book, you're going to know their names. Some of them you won't necessarily know. And, and some of the stories you won't remember. And, and so I'm, I'm really proud of sort of the, the fact that all of the history is covered off here of everything really that mattered over that period. And I'm really fortunate as a general columnist in a major market that I got to be at those Olympics and I got to be at at uh, those big Stanley Cup games or World Series games or whatever it was. I don't think anyone else in the country could say that. 
like as, as many friends as I have that have worked same amount of time or the same number of years, they didn't get to see all the things I got to see and get the same assignments I got. And so I really thought it was important to put this together. And the more I worked on it, uh, this is awful to say, because this is, you know, the more I worked on it, the more I loved it. And I, I'm really, really proud of what's in the book. And I think it shows many different sides of the kind of work I do and kind of work I have done. And yes, it's historical. What I really like, I, I, I don't know if you know the movie, The Big Chill, but there's a, a scene in the movie where Jeff Goldblum is a magazine writer for People Magazine. And they ask him, how long are your pieces? And he said at the time, the, the equivalent of, you know, how long does it take a person to go to the washroom? They can sit there, they can do their business and they can read you know, his piece. Well, that's what this book is. You can put it in your washroom. You don't have to read it in order. It is, there is no order really. In whatever order is what we decided to, to do it. Uh, and you could pick open at any page and you can read that piece and you can close it next day and open at a different page and go from there. And if you love sports and if you love to read and if you love stories, and if you have a relative or a friend or somebody who, you know, is a sports nut, you know, there's a lot of different sides to this book and a lot and so many stories about so many people. And some of them, I'm just, you know, even telling the story, sometimes I get goosebumps. Uh, Steve, you know, you've, uh, as I said, four decades. I mean, you've never been shy to give your opinion. And I mean, some of the, the greatest compliments are, I mean, you might not agree. Often you might vehemently disagree, but you're always going to make sure that you're reading those columns. Um, wh what was it like writing those, having the opportunity to be the columnist for the first time? And how is it different than normal reporting? I mean, what goes in when you're starting a column? What is the what is the number one most important thing? And how have you grown as a columnist? Well, you start not knowing what you're doing to be honest, because you don't have a voice and you don't know what the voice is going to be and you don't know how you're going to tell a story or, or anything along those lines. So, so um, for me, it was 1982 that I started writing a column for the Calgary Herald and you had to learn on the fly. You know, I knew how to report. I'd already been a beat writer at that point. I spent a couple of years doing that. I spent some time reporting. So, um, so all of that, you use those skills and then it start the day. And, and I've described it to journalism classes before. It's like handing somebody a blank piece of paper beginning of the day and saying, okay, the other day, can you hand this in and hand it in completely filled 800 words column written. And wh what you find is, is, is you look for stories that are inside stories. You know, this, ha I'll give you an example in, in the book, uh, the first column in the book, is Wayne Gretzky's last game. Well, it's real easy to write, this is Wayne Gretzky's last game. He's played this many games. He scored this many goals. He has this many points. That's pretty boring, to be honest. We all knew that. We all knew how great he was. I um, found out that, that the day of the game, it was an afternoon game at Madison Square Garden, that he decided to drive to the game with his dad, just him and his dad in the car going to the game because that took him back to his first days playing hockey. And, and what's minor hockey when you're, when, you're, when you're a dad or a kid? It's you and your dad or you and your mom going to the rink, tying the skates, you're, you're dressed before the game. And I got Gretzky to talk about his dad. I got Walter to talk about Wayne. And, and it's a story of really, it's, it's, a, it's the quintessential you know, dad 
and 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 son kind of story with the greatest hockey player, greatest hockey scorer we've ever known. And, you know, the, the guy that we used to call, you know, the hockey dad of this country. And 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 so, you know, there's there's ways you can tell a story um, about just what happened. I don't find those kind of particularly interesting, but I want to tell a view of the people. What are they feeling? What do they look like? I remember years ago, there was a columnist in Detroit named Joe Falls, who was somebody I looked up to greatly when I started out. And I got to know him a little bit one year. And Joe Falls said to me, make sure when you're writing that you're telling everybody what you're seeing. What does the dressing room look like? What does the facial expression look like? What does this guy? So then you're taking them with you. And when they're reading, they can think, I'm right beside this guy. Uh, one, of the, one of the stories in the book is about Connor McDavid. And let's be honest, Connor McDavid is about the most exciting hockey player we've ever seen. And maybe one of the three or four most talented we've ever seen. But he's not exactly been an interesting person. The story in the book is he was still in junior hockey. And an old fellow named Sherry Basson was the general manager and owner of the Erie Otters. And, Sher and Connor's about 16 or 17, and Sherry's like 78. And they develop a friendship that to this day exists. They talk to each other once or twice, you know, every, every couple of weeks. Um, and it's the story of how does a 17-year-old or 16-year-old boy and this 70-some-year-old man develop this friendship that you know, probably will last for the rest of their, well, as long as Sherry's around, I guess. Uh, and, and, and so the stories are not, um, you know, the obvious ones. The Kawhi, the Kawhi Leonard's on the cover. You know, it's easy to write about him making the shot that no one still to this day understands how it went in that led to the Raptors winning a championship. In his... I wrote about the day he left Toronto. And it was a Saturday. And it was like we've just celebrated We've just had a parade. We've just won a championship nobody saw coming. This guy brought it all. And it's, it's like Cinderella hit, hit midnight and, 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 and now he's gone. And it was the story of what is the city feeling like today after all of this excitement and all of this celebration and now, um, you know. And, and so that's what's in the book. And, and there's so many different areas. Um, I, I was pretty pumped when I saw the Roberto Alomar column. And I, and again, I don't know how familiar the guys in Winnipeg are with the 92 Blue Jays, but 92, the Blue Jays in 85, 86, 87, all the way through had great teams that were known as chokers. And they were known as teams that couldn't win. And they go into Oakland to play the A's, who had embarrassed them, I think, in the playoffs either the year before or two years before. And they're, they're, they're losing. And uh, Dennis Eckersley's on the mound to close out the game. And Alomar's at the plate. And that's, you know, the Blue Jays, Kirk Gibson moment. You know, he hits the home run. The Blue Jays go on to win that series. I think he made it okay for the Blue Jays to win the 92 World Series, which led to them, of course, winning the 93 World Series. And if you, and if you read the piece now, even Alomar is talking about the historic nature of what just happened. And in that moment, and I'm trying to capture the moment and the dressing room and the, and the clubhouse and, and, and what he's looking like and what he's feeling like, and at the same time, realizing that I've just seen history here. And I don't know how important it is yet, because we didn't know they'd go on and win, and we didn't know what would happen. But you look back in retrospect, and the piece just you know, kind of shines. 
because it's so telling of what was to come. Steve Simmons is with us. The book is A Lucky Life. It is out right now, uh, 40 years from the best seat in the house. Steve, I, I, I can't even go through the table of contents without thinking about all these incredible people and stories. Who were, uh, when you look back, and I know this is touched on, but maybe you can highlight a couple from the book, your favorite or the most memorable or interesting characters that you've dealt with, whether they be players, executives, or people around the sport that have found their way into your book? Well, I want to start with Bernie Custis. I don't even know if that name means anything to you at all. It, it may not. Um, Bernie Custis was the first African-American to play quarterback at an NCAA school. He was the quarterback at Syracuse University. And uh, he had a roommate, by the way, when he was at Syracuse by the name of Al Davis, um, who later went on, of course, to own the Oakland Raiders, among other things. Um, Bernie gets either drafted or signed to, to play for the Cleveland Browns, has a very good training camp. And at the end of training camp, Paul Brown takes him aside and says to him, uh, Bernie, I, I can keep you, but I can't keep you as a quarterback. You know, at that time, they, the NFL was not ready to have a, a black playing quarterback. And, and Bernie said, well, I'm a quarterback. And he said, well, we can't, if you want to switch positions, if you want to play defensive back, if you want to try receiver, whatever, you know, we're happy to, to do that. Uh, and Bernie said, well, I'm a quarterback. That's what I play. Um, and Brown did not want to waive him because if he waived him, somebody was going to pick him up and who knows what they were going to do with him. And so this is how different the times are. He made a deal with the Hamilton Ticats to sell Bernie Custis's contract, the closest team to Cleveland, the closest borders, you know, Cleveland to Hamilton is not that maybe a four hour drive. Um, and Bernie Custis goes to Hamilton and he becomes the first African-American to play quarterback in the CFL. And that leads to, you know, so many people from, you know, Conrad Holloway to Warren Moon to Tracy Ham to, to, you know, you can go, the list is long. Um, and, uh, and so Bernie goes on, not only that, he goes on to teach school in the Hamilton area. He goes on to become a principal in the Hamilton area. He goes on to become a minor football coach in the area. He has school, has a school named after him now. Um, so he came into Canada and had a fantastic you know, run of things and a great life. And all the while, Al Davis, his buddy from, from Syracuse, is trying to hire him to work for the Raiders. You know, we'll give you this scouting job. We'll give you this personnel job. We'll give you this in our front office. Like, we want you with us. Uh, and Bernie says, no, I love Hamilton and I love Canada. I love what it's done for me. And I love the opportunity I got. And Bernie passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but, but to me, that story, shouldn't everyone, shouldn't that be a movie? Shouldn't everyone know the Bernie Custis story? Like, I know most times I mention his names, people don't even know the name. You know, everybody knows Jackie Robinson. Everybody knows Willie O'Ree. Um, for whatever reason, Bernie's just... Kind of a lost figure in history. Another one of the uh, great stories in the new book, A Lucky Life. Um, Cy, you know, just on the way out, and again, folks, you know, you'll be able to pick this up and, I mean, enjoy 40 years of history from uh, well, the preeminent columnist in uh, Canadian sports writing for the last four decades. But I do wonder, Steve, part of it, I sort of had to chuckle uh, with it being a lucky life. And you were telling me off air about your start in Calgary and the timing that you have had. Um, I mean, really in the sweet spot of, uh, you know, this incredible era, actually a few eras. Um, 
What do you make of the state of sports media right now? Um, what's happened with the big companies? The fact that much of this content is now in formats like this, as opposed to on the AM dial as we had before. I mean, you'd have a very interesting perspective, I think, because uh, you've also had a front row seat for that, albeit working with the Sun Chain in your same role, just how much everything has changed. Well, the, I hate to be that get off my lawn old guy, but when it comes to what's happened to sports media in this country, I'm, I, find, I think it's deplorable. You know, the way the, the major companies, Bell and Rogers, have basically abandoned almost all of the sports radio format, say for one or two shows on, on two different networks in, in the Toronto area. Um, there's a lot of trash out there. There's a lot of junk. And so what you're finding are programs like this one, you know, Bob McCallum's doing one out of Toronto and I know Matt Sakaris is doing one out of Vancouver. And, you know, there are pretty good podcast format where you can find things, but you got to look for it. And the day of getting in your car and driving around and being entertained by sports radio, I believe is over. And even, even the newspaper business, I mean, time was, I'm going to Grey Cup next week. Time was every paper in the country would have a columnist at Grey Cup. That was just the way it worked. And every football writer that covered the league would be a Grey Cup. And so now, Post Media, the company that I work for, and, and you know, which owns the Sun newspapers and all of the broadsheets in, in Vancouver and Calgary and Winnipeg, not Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa, um, you know, they're not they're not they're not sending anybody. They don't have Monday papers anymore in most of those cities. So it's like the day of of that kind of event, you know, you know, I, I might be the only general national columnist at Grey Cup. And I don't know if that's going to be the way it is, but kind of makes me sad for an event that was such a big part of Canadian life and still is a big part of Canadian life. Isn't, you know, the media event it once was. And we're not going to go back because when you only have two companies really controlling, well, one company is controlling newspaper and two others are controlling you know, TV and radio there's not enough places to work and there's not enough opportunities. Uh, I moved to Calgary in 1979, right out of school. And at that time there was no NHL team in Calgary and there was two newspapers, but one of them was called the Albertan and it looked like it was ready to go out of business any moment. Um, and so I get to the Calgary Herald and within a year, the flames moved from Atlanta and, um, and within a year, the Calgary sun, buys the Albertan and, and opens up, you know, a, a newspaper in the city. And suddenly there's opportunities to, for young guys like me to not only um, cover an NHL team, but work for another newspaper. And at that time, trying to get home, which, which was for me, was going back to Toronto, which, you know, eight years later happened. Um, but you look around and, and you think of where you've been. Well, I was there when the Flames first played. I was there when the Sun first opened. I moved to Toronto and I'm a day oneer at the fan doing 10 to, no, to, to noon uh, on the radio. And when headline sports opened up, which later became the score, I'm there at the beginning doing an afternoon show on TV. Uh, and, and when TSN radio opened up in, in Toronto, I was, I was there at the beginning and, and there in, in a variety of roles for, for many years. And so I've been so, yes, the Lucky Life title really does come about. Who could say that they were a day winner at the fan, a day winner at headline sports, which became the score, a day winner at TSN radio, 
Um, and I worked for that uh, ill-fated national sports radio that didn't last very long either, um, along with being able to do the kind, being able to go to 17 Olympic games and and 20 some Super Bowls and 20 some Grey Cups and and that kind of thing. I mean, that's that's so exceeded whatever expectation I might have had for a career. I had a friend named John Down. I don't know if you know that name. Uh, who was the veteran sports writer at the Calgary Herald when I got there. He covered the Stampeders, which was the biggest beat in town at the time. And we went to his house. He invited the young guys to his house for dinner and said, you know, what do you, his wife says, what do you want to do? You know, what's your goal? And I said, I want to be a columnist. And she looked at me and said, that's impossible. Like, Nobody gets to do that. And it turned out that, you know, I think David Schultz was there that night. I, mean, I think maybe Eric Dehatchik was there as well. And, you know, here, here we are all these years later, you know, Schultz is now retired, but, but still kind of plugging away at it. And we got a chance to do things that, you know, I don't know, are there any 20 some year olds working in newspapers across this country right now? Like in sports, in, in important jobs? Like we haven't hired anybody at the Toronto Sun, I don't know, maybe 20 years. Like we lose people, but we never replace them. And that's just, you know, the, the opportunities to do what, what we did once in a lifetime, I think, and, and now, like when I go to talk to journalism classes or, you know, there's sports media programs in Toronto and I, they say, well, what do you, what, what do you, you know, what kind of advice can you give us? And I said, have a plan B because you, you better need one just in case the first one doesn't work out. And, you know, I was lucky. I never had to think about a plan B. I got to work and went to work in 79 in October in Calgary. And I'm, here we are 40, you know, three years later, and I'm still doing it. Well, I'll tell you what, really looking forward to what you've got coming up from Regina next week. And of course, the book is A Lucky Life. Just on the way out, uh, what's the best way for people to get their hands on it immediately and, of course, in time for the holidays? Well, um, it's in bookstores, but again, I don't, I'm not aware of the distribution or which stores are where it is or how many copies. The easiest thing to do, of course, like anything else, is to order it online. You can order online from, from Amazon. You can order online from, from Chapters Indigo or Indigo Chapters um, and, and do it that way. Um, I, I really, I, and this isn't me, the author talking. This is me, the sports fan talking. I think if you have a dad, an uncle, a cousin who, who just is a sports nut, and we all know them. We have lots of friends that are like that. Um, this is such a nice companion. This is, again, like I said, you don't even have to be, I have a friend who's not a reader and he went through the book and he read it and he, he sent me a, a really nice text about four or five days ago saying that I just, some of the, I didn't love every, didn't love every story and nor, nor will anyone, but there was enough there to keep him uh, interested. Do you have time for one great cup story? Um, sure. The Argos played, I think it was in Ottawa the Grey Cup a few years ago. And they had a defensive back by the name of Jermaine Gabriel, whose name might mean something to people, but odds are he was just another you know guy playing defensive back in the CFL. Jermaine Gabriel grew up in Toronto, single mom, where they were homeless about half of his life. You know, they would gut an apartment and they would you know, live in it. And then they would get kicked out because they couldn't pay rent and they'd wind up you know sleeping in the hallways. It was a mom and three kids. So Jermaine Gabriel plays high school football and he's not good enough, I guess, 
or nobody noticed him enough to get interest from U.S. universities. So he winds up going to Concordia and he goes to Concordia for two years, plays football at Concordia. And but he can't afford to buy books and he can't afford to pay his rent or whatever, because he got I think he got his tuition paid for and some scholarship money as happens in Canada. Um, but he after two years and he was eating what he called syrup sandwiches. That means a piece of bread and some maple syrup. And that's what he put on the sandwich. That's what he was eating as, a, as an athlete playing high level football. And he said the best thing was is the football team had dinners on a regular basis where I could get food for free. But after two years, he couldn't do that anymore. So he gets recruited to go to St. Mary's to play. And he goes to St. Mary's and he gets recruited by a coach who is fired by the time he gets to Halifax. So he's going to a program where there's no place for him and the coach is gone. And so he winds up having to take a job as a janitor in the local mall in Halifax. And he's working as a janitor there. And basically his, his intention to ever play football at another level is, is gone. Um, somehow he hears, and I don't know how this happened, but somehow he hears from the Calgary Colts, the junior program, they would like him to come out to Calgary and play for the Colts. He was still junior eligible. So he, they, I don't know if they got him a flight or how it happened. He winds up in Calgary playing for the Colts. And he wants to go to the CFL and the Stampeders want to sign him. There's just one problem. Because he had played the university football in Canada, he has to be drafted. So now he's going into the draft, not knowing if he's going to get picked or not. I'm not sure what's going to happen with him. And, uh, um, and he winds up being drafted by the Argos while he's in. He's getting drafted by his hometown team. Uh, his mom and his siblings went nuts. You know, Jermaine's coming home. So he goes home. He gets drafted by the Argos. He makes the Argos. In a few years, he's actually starting for the Argos. Um, they go into the Grey, Grey Cup in, in that snowy Grey Cup in Ottawa, and they win. And five days after the Grey Cup, Jermaine Gabriel, who lived homeless in Toronto, moves into his first home. He had just bought a condo um, prior to that. And his moving, his moving in date was five days after they, they won the Grey Cup. And I just thought, you know, it, the, the headline is from homeless to Grey Cup. And, and I, I, those kind of stories. And I got contacted actually the day after that column arrived from a movie company asking, you know, if I was interested in, wow. in turning it into a movie. And, uh, and what I did was I just passed it on to, I passed Jermaine's number on to them thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not a script writer. That's not what I do. Uh, let somebody, if they're professional, I don't know what's ever happened since then. But to me, that story is the kind of thing that makes the book special. It's, it's a story you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. And you almost want to cry when you're reading it. And, and then it turns out in the end, a you know, happy ending kind of thing. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to getting through the entire thing. What I've read already has been phenomenal, Steve. And that Listen, we really appreciate you coming on. Be a great gift for the holidays and uh, great for any sports fan, I think, that has followed everything that you've covered over the course of the last 40 years. Hey, enjoy the football games this weekend and have a good time out in Regina. All right. It's hard to not have a good time at Grey Cup. I wish there were more people to be hanging with. Thanks so much, Steve. All right. Always a pleasure. 
All right, great chat with Steve Simmons. Um, I'll tell you, I'm going through some of the stories in the book. I mean, sports nuts like most of you, I think, will really, really enjoy it. And uh, we thank him for popping on. Lots going on in the chat during that interview, one of which was, I know some of you mentioning, about the official announcement that the CEBL is coming to Winnipeg. I am so fired up about this. I mean, it has been really cool to see the way this league has grown. Former CFL Mike Morreale is a co-founder and the commissioner of the league. Um, so for those of you asking, we will certainly uh, endeavor to uh, bring on Mike and potentially somebody from the Winnipeg group to talk about the upcoming CEBL season when Winnipeg joins the league in 2023. That is going to be awesome. Anyone that remembers the good old days of the Thunder playing at the arena. And I don't have confirmation on this, but I think they're going to be playing at Canada Life Center, which will be great. I mean, you know, when the Cyclone were playing in the convention center, it just... If you're going out to watch a professional sporting event, the venue is really important. And you know, I know investors group uh, saying the U of M can, can handle it. But I think the league and the entire operation will get taken to the next level if they do have it in the downtown arena. So we'll have our fingers crossed on that. But great news for the Winnipeg sporting community. Um, and hey, some breaking news. If you saw a very scary incident last night, uh, Evander Kane, uh, with a wrist slash uh, wrist injury last night. Um, he is going to be out for three to four months right now. I did post a message thanking the staff and medical teams on both the Oilers and Tampa Bay Lightning for helping him prevent it from being much worse. But um, obviously a tough run for the former Jet and a big, big loss for the Edmonton Oilers. All right, we went long with Simmons, so let's quickly get to the cool bet lines and then JR can get this podcast uploaded. We got three games tonight, or sorry, what, four games tonight in the National Hockey League. Paul Maurice's Panthers, a home underdog. Matthew Kachuk suspended. Carolina Hurricanes, minus 118. Panthers, even money at home. The Canucks coming off that win over the Sens last night. Head to Montreal. Vancouver. <laughs> Vancouver's not going to be a road favorite too often this year. Minus 164 on the Canucks and the Montreal Canadiens, plus 138. Ovi, Crosby, always, always a great matchup on Wednesday Night Hockey. Pittsburgh minus 130, the Capitals plus 111. And the final game of the evening out on the West Coast, the Pond, on to center in Anaheim. The Ducks hosting the Wild. Wild minus 167, Anaheim plus 141. Quick look at the Canadian Football League numbers. Argos, three-point favorites now against Montreal. It was three and a half a little earlier. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, it's sort of funny, we're at four and a half. That was my guess for what the line would be. It opened at five. It went to four earlier today. Now it seems like it's sort of settled at four and a half. But if you look over, they've got some divisional specials, uh, divisional final specials right now at Cool Bet. You can bet which quarterback will have the most passing yards. Nathan Rourke plus 135. Zach Caleros, four to one. The longest odds, which is strange. He was the passing leader for the league. I think part of that is the fact that they think they're going to be running the football quite a bit in the outdoors. And that's why Brady Oliveira is a slight favorite to have the most rushing yards this weekend. Brady's at plus 250. Butler's at plus 275. Standback and A.J. Ouellette at 5-1. to one. And most receiving yards, Burnham and Rhymes, 6-1. to one. Eugene Lewis, plus 650. Dalton Schoen, 8-1. Greg Ellingson, plus 950. 
and Nick Dembski, 16 to one. And all there in the uh, under the CFL page. As far as for exclusives for tonight, well, for tonight heading into the weekend, Dusty and I did do a lock shot partner parlay for the week. I took the Bombers and Nick Dembski to score a touchdown. Dusty's got the Alouettes plus three and a half. Bombers minus four and a half, by the way, in the number if you're listening on the pod. Alouettes plus three and a half and a Gene Lewis touchdown plus 1250 on our CFL playoff edition of the Lock Shop Partner Parlay. You know where to get those in the exclusives on the Cool Bet page. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Great show. Thanks to everyone that joined us today. And I got some big news chat tomorrow. Looks like Mason Appleton is going to be jumping on the program. So we'll look forward to making that happen and uh, have Apple come on after that big, big game. One of his best is a Winnipeg Jet. We'll do our best to not bug him about the plight of the Green Bay Packers right now. Should be a great show. Ken Weeb's going to pop on. Ted Wyman as well. Uh, lots to get to heading into Remembrance Day where we won't be doing a regular show and, of course, the big weekend for the Bombers and the Winnipeg Jets. Thanks again to all the sponsors that make this show happen. To Simmons, to Murata Tesh, to Scott Billick, to Jay Remo, filling in for the original Remo, who also made an appearance today in the chat right now. That is going to do it for us, gang. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. talking more Jets and Bombers and much more here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down! Let's go home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.